They called him Machete. Seventy dollars a day for yard work. Hundred for roofing. Get in. One twenty-five for septic. Sewage. Have you ever killed anyone before? As you may know, illegal aliens such as yourself are being forced out of our country at an alarming rate for the good of both our people. Our new senator must die, and for that I will pay you one hundred fifty thousand dollars cash. He was given an offer he couldn't refuse. I'd cost the most, 'cause I'm the best there is. Set up, double crossed, and left for dead. I took a vow of peace, and now you want me to help you kill all these men? Yes, bro. I mean, Padre. See what I can do. He knows the score. He gets the women. And he kills the bad guys. But they soon realize he's coming after us. They just with the wrong Mexican. Suspense. Action. Emotion. Please, Father, have mercy. God has mercy. I don't. If you're gonna hire Machete to kill the bad guy. You better make damn sure the bad guy isn't you. Machete. Rated X. Good morning to you. It is three minutes and fifteen seconds after the hour of five, and this the month of March in the year of our Lord two thousand and nine. Thank you for coming along and making it part of your listening day. We are live from the plushly appointed yet not overly ostentatious studios of Rock One One KUFO. This, my friends, is the Rick Emerson Radio Program. Thank you for joining us today. We have machete news coming up later on today, which is something I never really thought I'd say, but there it is. So we'll get to that here in just a. Uh, just a bit. It is 503-733-2970 if you'd like to join us on this Wednesday morning. It's 503-733-2970. 503-733-2970 if you would like to get on board with your comments, questions, clarifications, kvetches, kvetches, ruminations, ponderings, musings, whatever it is you might have today. It is 503-733-2970. Richie Bristol, who, by the way, is unbelievably excited about the speed pimping guy who's going to be coming up later on today. Richie did, in fact, announce, I'm paraphrasing here, but he said something something very close to, I haven't read a book in five years, but I'm really going to read the speed pimping book as soon as it arrives. And I'm not even really sure if we're getting a copy of the speed pimping book. I think we may ourselves have been pimped by agreeing to have the guy on the show w- without actually getting a copy of said tome. So, anyway, that's coming up later on today. We'll talk to... Word of God, a guy named Pepe Lamac. There you go. He is wearing a stylish hat on the back, though. So. He makes the ladies swoon. He does, Tim. So, uh, who knows? I can't Who's... wait to swoon later. You know, <laughs> I w- thank you, sir. I, I, I may be judging him too harshly. 
We'll, we'll have to wait to see. Uh, in any event, oh, Richie, uh, I'm sorry. Richie wants to clarify he did, in fact, ask for at least one copy of the book. Well done, Richie. to look out for yourself. Uh, it's 503-733-2970 if you'd like to join us today. Also coming up in the program, CNN Radio correspondent Steve Kastenbaum from New York City. He's got just a whole uh, pile of things. Well, first of all, the, the, the horrible thing about Natasha Richardson skiing into a tree or whatever. Was she, she skiing into a tree or did she fall off of something? No, she's skiing into a tree. Don't. I, you would think that in a post-Sonny Bono era, we, we would sort of know. I mean... Here's what I don't understand. I don't. I mean, I, I understand that there's, there's still some sort of speculation about the condition that she's in, and some of yeah. people saying she's it's very serious. And then TMZ says it's actually not, because the New York Post came right out of the gate with like critical condition, bam. And then TMZ said that she's in stable condition, but it's not a critical condition. My whole thing is this: if you're going to go skiing, why would you choose to ski through an area that has, you know, huge pieces of rock solid wood scattered all over it? Well, they do because. Uh, places you ski around mountains that have trees. Yeah, but for I the mean, most part. I understand that, but I'm going to say snow is slippery. I'm not. So we're in the CBS Radio Meteorological Desk, by the way. This just in. I should be skiing on Ublek instead. I never clarified my Ublek reference the other day, and you guys didn't know what the hell I was talking about. I'm going to make no. a note to myself. Clarify Ublek. I realize that sounds like gibberish to anybody who didn't know what I'm talking about. Clarify Ublek. All right. Wait, and there we go. Okay, I've written it down. I understand, Tim, that snow is slippery. Yes. <laughs> and I don't really even know that that's true. I think that snow is... Have you guys ever been skiing? Yes. No. I didn't think you'd ever been skiing. Are you kidding me? You know why? Skiing's Never... scary. I didn't like it. You know why it's scary, Sarah? Because you're going downhill and it's filled with trees. Mm-hmm. So, I'm just saying... I'm just going to get out ahead of the curve on this thing. Well, the, the trick is to ski between the trees. <laughs> And sometimes you're not successful. <laughs> At least that's the way I always did it. I and say, I am here to speak about it. I would say that an, I would say that an objective assessment of the facts at hand would indicate that you are in fact correct, Tim. Sometimes you're just not successful. As the guy says in Better Off Dead, go that way really fast. If something gets in your way, turn. I, the only statement I'm going to make before we start to Steve Cast about it later, because he'll have the, sort of the latest updates on it. It does seem to me that if man has the technology to go up on top of a big, you know, ice-covered hill and build a ski lodge that has, like, satellite television and a fireplace and, you know, a ski lift that'll take you from the, from the bottom all the way to the top in, like, five minutes, you have the ability to get a chainsaw and cut down the trees. If you don't cut down the trees and you leave the trees there and people decide to ski between them... You sort of cede your right to complain about it if you ski into one of those things, and then it uh, and then it ends poorly for you. I'm just saying skiing. Well, we don't know if this woman is complaining or not at this point. I don't know that she's doing a whole lot of anything at this point. I mean, again, who, you know, the news reports are sort of coming at this from different angles. You know what skiing is? Skiing is like NASCAR for rich white people. Uh, it's a, it's a whole thing where you're going really quickly in between and around a bunch of solid objects, and then expressing surprise when you hit one of them. So when, of course, the chance that you might hit one of them is, in fact, part of the thrill. It doesn't happen every time, though. No, it doesn't, Tim. It happens just often enough to make things interesting. Sort of like a reverse slot machine, in any event. Uh, we'll talk to Steve Kastenbaum from New York City about that. Uh, we'll also talk to CNN Radio correspondent James Roop today. 
Speaking of a slot machine, we'll talk about the Octomom. I guess two of the kids have gotten sent home. Yes, two. Or the other six are just, I don't know, just sitting around. Probably not sitting around, but you know what I mean. So she's home with the two kids, which I guess that we're now paying for. Like sort of the collective, like the big, the uppercase W, we. Uh, we will talk to... Pepe Lamac, the speed. And you have to read guy. his biography, and I'm just reading it. It is ridiculous. I don't have the information in front oh. of me. Richie took the speed there pimping info. Oh, I'm sorry. Here we go. We'll talk to the author of Speed Pimping. And every time... You need to start with the HRH. If I could just say this, just so you know what's going on inside my head, every time I use the phrase Speed Pimping, I think of that song Space Truckin' by Deep Purple, mm-hmm. where the guy says, Come on! Let's go, Space Truckin'! So when I say speed pimping, there's this immediate echo in the back of my head, like where this classic rock voice comes on and says, let's go speed pimping, which makes the whole thing very confusing for me, because it's like I have this Greek chorus going on in the back of my brain. Anyway, uh, so this guy, uh, he refers to himself as His Royal Highness Pepe Lamac. We'll uh, talk to him later on today. We'll see if he can help. I uh, guess he's a descendant of royalty. Yes, he is, Tim. Uh, so Jim Roop will be here to talk about the uh, Octomom. We'll talk to uh, uh, the Speed Pimmer guy. We'll have the top five coming up today. This is the top five that I, ca- I can't take to- uh, total credit for the idea of this. I think, I, you know, I came up with five of these six songs myself, but I was talking to Adam Thompson, who works uh, right here in Rock 101 KUFO, and he does the Musicology show on our sister station, uh, AM 970. And we had sort of, which is weird to say, by the way, if you've sort of been listening to us for any length of time, we were on AM 970 for three years. So referring to that station as our sister station is giving me a little bit of cognitive dissonance at the moment. But Adam and I had, had this conversation some weeks ago about the top five centering on the first songs on a first album. In other words, the opening songs on a debut record from a band. Uh, so I kind of put together my own variation on that list. So we'll do that later on today. The top five opening songs on a debut record. We'll get to that. Geek Watch coming up today. Clergy Watch coming up today. Uh, Monkey Watch on the way. We have another pair of Tesla tickets we're going to be giving away. And a whole pile of other things of that nature. Uh, if you'd like to call us, you can do it. It's Rick at Rick Emerson. I'm sorry, I just did that. If you'd like to call us, you can do it at a phone number, which is 503-733-2970. You can email if you like. It's rick at rickemerson.com. Rick at rickemerson.com. Uh, Sarah with an H at KUFO.com. Tim at KUFO.com. Or Richie with a T at KUFO.com. Tim Riley is working on the following stories for your edification on this Wednesday. It may soon become legal for bicyclists to run stop signs and red lights in Oregon. Representative DePazio finds out what it's like to be pulled out of line by the TSA at the airport and apparently loosens his temper. More senseless random searches are promised by the TSA because they can. Excellent. More Americans than ever fear the return of the Great Depression. A new study shows obesity takes years off your life. Congress will grill the AIG chairman. That should be very tasty. They're also going to order AIG to repay American taxpayers with outrageous greed. Oh, Iowa Senator uh, Charlie Grassley, who advised AIJ executives to kill themselves, now says he really doesn't want them to die. And Clowns Without Borders visit Portland. Clowns with, with what? Clowns Without Borders. Clowns Without Borders? Mm-hmm. Okay. Many clowns do have borders, but these do not. Uh, okay. Uh, and so forth. All right, there you go. Well, at least he doesn't want the AIG guys to kill themselves. I'm glad that he made that clarification. I'm glad that he's no longer advising that they take their own lives in public. 
it was more entertaining when he believed that. And did you say that he used a, a crude term for the female bosom? He did. To describe the way that, uh, that AIG was being fed by the American people? Yes. Good for him. You know, that's just plain talk, Tim, is what that is. That's just, uh, that's just some, uh, that's just some simple grassroots honesty, is what he's giving you there. Uh, we're joined today, as always, by the lovely and talented Sarah Stillen. Hello, how are you? Hello, I'm doing well. Today felt early. I think because I got because um, I, I took like a four-hour nap yesterday. The and best then... part is, as you just said that right now, you did that thing like a cat stretching in the sun, sort of a. Uh, all those things. I woke up at like two o'clock in the morning, and I'm like, okay. And I thought that I had woken up like a minute before my alarm went off, and then you know it wasn't. So I had a hard time falling back asleep. No, because it, what's it, if you're getting up. I mean, if you're going to be on the air here at 5, if you're, if you're waking up at 2 a.m., there's really no point in going back to sleep. Mm-hmm. At this point, you, you might as well just pull the ripcord and get out of bed. Mm-hmm. Might as well just embrace the suck and get up. Yeah, well, I went to, um, for St. Patrick's Day yesterday, I went to, I made the mistake of <laughs> trying to go oh, to the Kennedy I School. Oh, it was St. Patrick's Day. Yeah. Kennedy School was hell. I haven't been there in years, and it was just, like, full of, like, screaming children running around and, like, you know, and parents... Is it not, a bar? It's a, it's a bar, it's but it's also restaurants and stuff. Why would it be full of screaming? Oh, because it's not just a bar. It's like an actual restaurant. Yeah, it's like restaurants. So there were young people there as well. There were lots of young people, and it was crazy. They're very super rich. Yes, so, yeah, so if, if, you know, men, if your wife is trying to get you to, like, have a kid, just take her to McMinimins <laughs> and have them run around. And, like, have, like their children, they're, like, running into my legs, and the parents, and they're, like, all sticky fingered and stuff, and I'm running around, like, oh, my God. The invasion of the Octomob. So, yes. so you had quite a night. I had quite a night. Well, yeah. Well, early afternoon night. And then I went to bed. What time did your evening end? Oh, uh, like... What time are you in bed? Ten. All right. Well, see, that's... See, I mean, if you can get four, four and a half, five hours of sleep, I would say that you're able to move mm-hmm. forward. Mm-hmm. I would say that's going to work out well for you. It's so strange to adapt to, like, living in shifts, though. Yes, it is. Yeah. Well, because especially if you're doing that thing where you're napping for, like, a couple hours in the afternoon and then you're, you're trying to crash later on. Exactly. It's like there are 14 days in the week now because there's, like, before there's sleep... Awake, nap, awake, sleep. So you're, you're dividing your life into miniature days. Yes. By the way, speaking of, um, uh, of your sleep cycles and waking up and whatever, of course, I, like many people, am a slave to my caffeine intake. And so I go to the kitchen this morning, I don't know, it's like maybe 4.30, 4.45 or something, and I'm going to get a crisp, refreshing viso out of the vending machine. And the vending machine did... There's like a whole flowchart of vending machine hell because we've all done the thing. I mean, the universally understood gesture is the guy sitting in front of the vending machine and he's taking that dollar bill and he's running alongside the corner. You know, he's sort of trying to smooth it out because the vending machine has. And they could really take a lesson from Las Vegas on this, by the way, because when you go to Vegas, Vegas machines will take. I mean, you could have just uh, you could have just taken that dollar bill out of a trash compactor, but as long as it can be somehow recognized as being legal American currency and tender. The matter. Those the machines in Vegas will take it because they don't want to turn any any money away. I mean, every every penny taken in and and you know and obtained. But the vending machine here is like a lot of those vending machines. You like the people probably have at their office where just the tiniest fold or just the most incidental crease in the bill and then the, and it's almost like the machine is taunting you because you'll put the bill in and it'll sit there for just a second and then and it goes back and you're like going come on. And there seems to be no rhyme or reason. Have you ever had this happen, where it seems like the machine is kicking back the bill because it's too crisp? In other words, you almost have or to like... Or it just like, won't read it, it seems right. like. Right. There's, there's, there's some sort of a sweet spot between a bill that's been wadded up in the bottom of your pocket and a bill that just came from the bank that is absolutely crisp and starched, and the machine won't take either of those. It has to have been gently used. It's completely frustrating. 
So this morning, I'm going back and forth. I'm trying to, you know, get it to take the bill. And it's the machine finally, I think, it just had enough of my shenanigans. And so I went to put the dollar bill in again. It takes the dollar bill and then just does nothing. Then it just sits there, doesn't register, put the money in, doesn't kick it back. It just sort of stays there. And I thought, okay, well, and, the, you know, the visa was two bucks. So I'm like, all right, I'll, I'll feed the second dollar in. So I go to feed the second dollar in. The second dollar won't go in because the first dollar has been taken far enough in that it has jammed up the bill feed. But it hasn't gone far enough in that it's actually registered. So I want to say first and foremost, if you come to CBS Radio today and you're trying to buy anything out of that vending machine in the kitchen, you're not going to be able to because it's taken my dollar bill far enough in that no one else can actually put anything in. Doesn't actually didn't actually register it. And by the way, it so was part of it sticking out. No, it's all the way. That see, that's the other it's thing. It's in undecided mode. That's it, it is in a state of transition, Sarah. So hmm. if you look at the vending machine in the kitchen, again, the dollar bill has gone far enough in that you can't get it back out like with you know tweezers or whatever. Like it's just stuck there. But it hasn't actually gone all the way in to be sort of registered and counted. So it doesn't show that I put any money in. Needless to say, is your caffeine intake a little off? No, I had to walk over to the plaid pantry. <laughs> because oh, you in can't, the middle of the night? Well, you can't not have uh, a caffeine. Yeah. In the middle of the night, it was four in the morning. That is the middle of the night. <laughs> for most people. Maybe for most people, Tim. For us, it's the beginning of another day of broadcast uh, genius. So and I'm just saying I apologize in advance. Because we now, I realize that we've also kind of started to live in a cashless society. Because the other thing, I tried to canvas the building for, you know, like for $2 worth of quarters or something. And just nobody carries uh, cash anymore. I appear to be the lone cash-carrying person on planet Earth. Who was here at 4 o'clock in the morning to ask for quarters? Well, they're just going to board option, whatever. And Adam was here. And okay. I know that Poor Adam. He looks so delirious. Yeah. Well, I know that Tim doesn't carry any cash. And the last time I, I asked Sarah for some, Sarah said, No, I just have a bunch of quarters covered in gum. Uh, Adam himself doesn't carry cash anymore. And he's like, I, and then he's uh, people like that always say something like, "Well, I haven't carried cash in probably five or six years." So I think we just need to get to the point. If we're going to have a society where people aren't carrying a lot of money around, which means a society where I can't sort of bum dollar bills off of people, we need to just skip to the bottom of the page. And I need to have some sort of a microchip in my hand. I want some sort of Scientology well, mark of the beast on my palm, so I can just go to the vending machine and just put, you know, or like a retinal scan or something, so I can just. You know, and it scans me Blade Runner style, and then I can get like a Fanta orange or something. Yeah, we're in this uh, sort of unpleasant middle ground right now that isn't working out for me. I'm just saying. All right, we'll do this. Uh, around the corner, uh, we have news from Tim Riley. Coming up later on, Steve Castabon, James Roop, and today's top five. It's a Rick Emerson show on Rock 101 KUFO. It is the Rick Emerson radio program on Rock 101 KUFO. It's Wednesday. You would think that we would just have credit card swipers in vending machines by now. Are you still obsessing about that? I am because I got this email. This one says, Rick, I was at the hospital in Louisiana, and their vending machines all have credit card swipers. You would think that a place that's backward and has a history of being ravaged by hurricanes wouldn't have more advanced technology than Portland, and yet it is the case. See, that's just sad if we're being outstripped on the technological front by Louisiana. He says, uh, also about the Tommy Lee interview yesterday, I don't know if you actually heard the point where Tommy Lee's head cracked during your questions. I think he was expecting a typical morning DJ to whoop it up and ask him about booze and sex tapes. Uh, he said, when you started to ask multi-pronged questions, I think it tweaked him out and it really came out over the air. Uh, best show ever, uh, F Matt with a vending machine. Thank you, sir. Well, have you uh, tried putting in quarters to get the viso out? No, because I... Because, because if no, there's a dollar in there, then if you like put quarters in the... 
in the coin slot, maybe you can still get the visa out. Why don't you just give it a good shaking? Why don't you all just leave me alone? <laughs> no, but I was we'll making... leave you alone if you stop talking about it. Because I was making the point... Well, that's not going to happen. I was making the point <laughs> earlier, though, that I that I canvassed the building and that nobody has any cash. Because you said that you only I only have quarters covered in gum. I do have quarters covered in gum. Thanks so much. You I appreciate to. that. No, because, it's, because that the ship has already sailed. Because I braved walking a block across the street to Plaid Pantry. So it's taken care of. I'm just saying it does seem like it's um, not too definable point. I became the only person on earth that actually carries money with me, but that's okay. Brent just wrote me and says he has quarters for you if you want. Brent, not it's fine. <laughs> I appreciate that. Don't get me, don't get me wrong. I, uh, the gesture is not, uh, not taken for granted. This email says, hey, I just got home from my St. Pat shift at a local Irish bar. I got there at the end of your show yesterday and home for the open today. Rad. How is that even possible? I see people staggering around downtown when I drive in in the morning. But if he just got home, if he just got home from, uh, says maybe I, he was listening to the recap on uh, the replay on 970. That makes sense. All right, ladies and gentlemen, at the news desk, it's Tim Riley. In the news with Tim Riley. Weyerhaeuser, in response to uh, a depressed demand for lumber and the depressed building market, is closing down mills in Oklahoma and Oregon bringing in nearly 20% of its reduction this year in softwood lumber. It's going to affect some 307 workers. Well, here's something that'll irritate some people. It could soon be legal for cyclists to run stop signs and stoplights here in Oregon. A bike bill that'll appear in the legislature today would make the so-called Idaho stop legal. It comes from Idaho, which has stops like this, apparently. Basically... If the way is clear, a cyclist would be allowed to slowly and safely proceed. I'm sure that's going to happen. I got like I got like nine things to say about this. Well, first of all, they don't slowly and safely proceed now, and it's illegal. Yeah. So, I don't the the idea that they're going to j- gently roll to some sort of a quasi stop and then move forward. That doesn't actually take place now when it's against the law to just roll through a stoplight. So if you make it legal for them to do it, I mean, clearly they're just going to go. I mean, it will end up in a sort of Darwinian. The kind of resolution, though, because you're some jackass cyclist that just rolls through a red light, and you know it's not going to be too long before you don't have to, you know, before you don't have to cycle anywhere ever again. Um, I will also say this, though, I'm back on your point about we're calling it an Idaho stop. That's weird, though, because everywhere I've ever lived, it's been called a California, California stop. stop. Yeah. Maybe, what what news source is calling it an Idaho stop? The, the K2 press? staff. So K2 is calling it an Idaho stop? Yes. That's weird. I wonder what people in Idaho call it. Hey, if anybody's from Idaho, I want to know what they call it in Idaho. That's the first time I've ever heard it referred to as that. That's a weird, that's like a, that's like a soda pop kind of a thing. All right. Representative Peter DePazio reportedly lost his temper during a security screening at PDX. According to the uh, roll call, he became frustrated when he was singled out for a random inspection until roll call, he thought the extra security was stupid. I didn't lose my temper. I'm not happy. And I told him it was a stupid problem. Who could disagree? Well, because they've been getting away with it for so long, the TSA is going to have even better searches at random. These are more, this is a more aggressive airport uh, search, apparently. The TSA said it did occasional checks on passengers at airport gates. And now they're stepping up again because they can get away with it. I don't understand, but what kind of searches you? More random searches. Oh, is this where they pull you out of line and they're uh, and they take you into like where they just rifle through all your stuff? Uh huh. Have you had that happen to you? Have you ever been the? Have you ever been like the one out of whatever? No, I never have. I always, I always. When we go, when you have you ever been to Mexico? 
No. You go to Mexico Wait, and there's yes. a, there's a stoplight thing and you have to hit the button mm-hmm. and it's either a green light or a red light and if you get a green light that means they don't go through your stuff but if you get a red light that means they rifle through all of your bags. Wait, when you're flying or driving? Flying. Okay, because I've driven in but I've never I've never flown in. Yeah, because when you fly into Mexico, there's this, it's like ridiculous. It's just like this big button you hit it and either it flashes red or flashes green and it all depends on whether or not what the stoplight says. And this is when you're going into Mexico. Mm-hmm. Who would be smuggling something into Mexico? That doesn't even make any sense. What would you? I mean, really, I mean, uh, you know, uh, I mean, other than, like, I'm trying to come up with something funny that you would smuggle into Mexico, and I've got nothing. So, that just seems weird. So, this is, is this on an it's American... Like one out of, yeah, like, one out of 20 times. But what... But like, every time our family went to Mexico, we'd always get... But um, where? Like, at what airport? In Mazatlan. Okay, so In Mazatlan you... and, and then Puerto Vallarta, too. I always thought Mazatlan was an island somewhere. Mm-mm. This is like how yesterday I thought that the Ajax and Borax... An Borax. island of cleanliness. No, Mazatlan's like all they're covered in senior frogs and like you know drunken frat boys. Mm-hmm. That's okay. This is all very confusing. <laughs> um, but it's I a restaurant, not a person. The last time that my wife flew, she came from Provo back to Portland, and she was going through. And I, I was telling, I think I told the story a few weeks ago, where she was trying to. She was buttoning up her her sweater, and because it was cold or whatever, and the deal is the buttons were real big, and the the, the sweater holes were real small, so she didn't want to take it off. Mm-hmm. So she gets ready to go through the metal detector, and they say, well, we're going to have to have you take off your sweater, which had no metal on it whatsoever. And she said, well, you know, it doesn't have any metal. There's no zipper. You know, what, what if I just walk through? You know, and if it beeps, you can wand me again, or you can, you know, you can search me or whatever. But, it, you know, if it doesn't beep, then there'll be no issue. And they said, fine. So she just walks through with the sweater on. Doesn't beep, no issues, no problem. But sure enough, like as soon as she gets out of there, if for, I think as payback for giving a little uh, lip, they pull her off to the side. They start doing that thing of rooting through every single item in her bag, which sucks because if it, it always happens when you're running late, too. It's always when you're about 12, 15, 20 minutes behind, and you're just you're sprinting through there like O.J. Simpson trying to get to your gate. Uh, you know, and there's some minimum wage with a gun who decides to start groping around inside your bag, which always makes you feel more secure, by the way. The idea of a person who actually couldn't get a job anywhere but at the airport rifling through your under things. They're the thin blue line between you and certain demise, apparently. Well, let's pay a visit to uh, Bob Dylan's outhouse, shall we? Off to Malibu we go, and apparently the neighbors are complaining that he has a fan that's blowing the stench into their windows. Let's see, I just pushed the button here. There we go. Here we go. Nobody comes to Malibu to be breathing chemicals from a chemical toilet. It makes me throw up. It gives me headaches. Same with my son. It's made him sick. And my husband, which usually nothing makes him so bad, it actually affected him. We don't actually have enough stories that say it makes me throw up. In Malibu? And I love the idea... It's Bob Dylan's excrement. You can let it go. And... I was actually just going to say that I I like the the, the beginning of her uh, of her soundbite there when she says nobody comes to Malibu to smell chemicals or whatever. What she's really saying is nobody comes to Malibu to smell Bob Dylan's waste, which I suppose is probably true in some sort of. Well, now it's a new tourist attraction. <laughs> All the fan buses will be stopping there, rolling down the window. Everybody take a whiff. If we were a truly kooky it's morning Bob show, Dylan I'd do some sort of like you know Bob's in the back and pooping in a bucket. Or whatever it is, because well, because isn't that the thing? That, pl- we need a parody song for that, I guess. But I mean, isn't that the implication that he's? You are a cookie morning show, Rick. He's uh, he's got like a, I don't know, like a like a like a, a ditch or a, or a box or something. I mean, he's in an, when you say an outhouse, I picture the the wooden thing with the moon, and then there's like a copy of the Sears Roebuck catalog that is thoroughly absorbent hanging on the wall. I would imagine it's more upscale since it is Malibu. But I mean, why wouldn't I? Don't understand. Why would you not just have a toilet like in the house? I know even if you're Bob Dylan, why, why, 
Maybe it's for guests. Yeah, I think there was like a um, like there's construction happening, so it might be like a construction. Oh, is this like a honey bucket kind of a thing? Yeah. Oh, I see. So it's not. I thought he was just maybe he was trying to be rustic, like he was trying to hold on to his country roots even in Malibu. I don't want any of that indoor plumbing. Just give me a bowl out back, <laughs> some paper towels, and then, you know. And then the neighbors say like. Like, at first, it's sort of charming. Like, and that Bob Dylan, do you believe him? He's still got an outhouse. And then later on, when the first, like, heat wave hits, it becomes uh, it becomes less charming and more vomity. Well, that's where we are at this point. This is exactly the sort of thing that Walter Cronkite used to do on his uh, on his CBS News. Here's Tim Riley. Time for a geek watch. Here's your geek watch for Wednesday morning on the Rick Emerson Radio Show. High-speed modem is intolerably slow. In the Queen Sergeant Lemon, I remember you used to... Just a television show. That's all, okay? <laughs> right, but... Because we were wondering if the quantum flux... And just listen on there. There is no quantum flux. There's no auxiliary. There's no goddamn shit. You got it? Here is your Geek Watch for Wednesday morning. And we have word that Robert Rodriguez's uh, chat with the public at SXSW has been held. And they're reporting his plans to make Machete a full-length version of the fake trailer that ran in front of Grindhouse in 2007. (laughs) Now, for a while, it looked like the movie wouldn't happen. This is one of those stories where I can tell by your facial expression you have no idea what you're reporting on. You don't understand this story. You're not privy to any of the details within it, any sort of uh, the, the expanded sense. And you will not remember this story ten seconds after you're done reading and it. And because I'm terrified by it, I put my finger at the word I left off on so I can pick it up right here. Yeah, and there's, I believe also his quote contains some profanity. So, uh, I'll skip that part. Yeah. <laughs> I know, I forgot that it's Tim, but I needed to black out the profanity. Um, <laughs> for a while, it looked like the movie wouldn't happen. Given Grindhouse's box office belly flop, but Rodriguez is confident that things will happen after all. So the deal is that Grindhouse is going to eh, eh, you guys. We're making machete. That uh, so the deal is that Grindhouse is that movie that Robert Rodriguez and uh, and Quentin Tarantino put out, I guess a year and a half ago, something like that. It was the sort of the two fake, you know, artificially old uh, B movies or whatever. But in the middle between the two films they had all of these fake trailers that were running and the theory was that when Grindhouse became a huge box office success that they would then take all of these trailers and they would make the trailers into films and the other one was that it was that Rob Zombie thing um, werewolf women of the SS but of course Grindhouse itself is a huge disaster uh, and didn't make any money which is why they haven't done it but there's just been so much fan buzz about Machete since that trailer came out that I think it was a given that Rodriguez was going to do it, especially because he makes movies for like $15 or something. So we actually played that trailer at the beginning of the show. That's fantastic. You mark my words right now that that Machete movie will actually outgross uh, Grindhouse, which, here's a little uh, trade secret for me to you, not that good. I mean, Grindhouse... I never saw it. See, and it's like you wanted it... Because I know there, I wanted to be supportive, but... It's just, and you wanted the movie to be great. I remember sitting there in the theater watching Grindhouse and just thinking to myself, okay... This is going to be this is going to be you know, a great a great film and it's going to be satisfying and it's it's going to uh, you know restore the luster to the Tarantino brand and then none of those things happened especially the Tarantino half of that because it's like half of it was um, Planet Terror was the Rodriguez half and then Tarantino did Death Proof I remember watching Death Proof and just thinking to myself like this is what it would sound like if you if like dust made a movie if you just had a movie that was made out of tepid cream of wheat that's what this movie would be and it just uh 
It's just a big disappointment is what it was. So, but I would, uh, I would hope that Machete would be better. I hope so. Too. Right. That's our Geek Watch. Thanks, Tim. There's your Geek Watch. Red Back Star after Chamber, this. By the Sons of Warvan, I shall avenge you. Next. Ooh, loneliness and cheeseburgers are a dangerous mix. It's the Rick Emerson Radio Program on Rock 101 KUFO. Good morning to you. It is 503-733-2970. 503-733-2970. Thank you for joining us. Coming up later on in the show today, we'll talk to the speed pimping guy, who, by the way, we have to figure out what we're going to ask him. Yeah, how are we going to do it? Are we going to like figure out some way to see if he could speed pimp me yesterday? I think you at one point yesterday did, in fact, volunteer to be pimped or... I Absolutely, guess. this guy sounds fascinating. Although, it did, as somebody pointed out, sort of linguistically speaking, this guy who's written this book, Speed Pimpin', which I do believe we're probably overselling at this point. I mean, you know this is going to be one of those things where we where we talk about this for like an hour, and then we get him on, and he's just unbelievably dull, because that's the way it no, always no, works. No, 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 no. Remember, he's going he's gonna to woo me with his charm. <laughs> why, not that, why not ask something unexpected like, should the AIG bonuses be returned? The... It's sort of like, you know, as I always say, it's like you can sort of make it rain by washing your car. And if you talk for 90 minutes about how a guest is going to be uh, great and fantastic and compelling and gripping and entertaining and amusing and whatever, that's always the time that you get them on, and then it just turns into a lot of one-syllable answers. So uh, tell me, uh, Mr. Speed Pimp, how, how, is that, how is it that you came to understand the many, many charms and wiles of the American female and how best to engage yourself with them in a romantic and intimate way? Well, you know, and then it's just like the, the Steven Seagal thing. Apparently, uh, he was born in Los Angeles, California, Tim, and he moved to England. He's conducted research in human behavior and has a book called Speed Pimpin' about getting any girl you want. So, speed Pimpin' Mackin' at the Speed of Light. I'm sorry. That's the subtitle. But somebody pointed out that linguistically speaking, if he was going to, quote, speed pimp you, that would in fact mean that he had to get you, like he had to hook you up with like one of the sales guys upstairs or something, or he had to like... You know, or he has to, like, pawn you off on one of Richie's friends. I'm looking at his website right now, and he has a two-sentence summary of his book. And it is so confusing. He can get himself a girl when just walking on the street without intention. Imagine how much more if he did. Imagine that. That's where you can really get that. That's where that bachelor's degree really shines I'm telling shines you, that guy's through. a poet. <laughs> uh, we'll talk to uh, Jim Roop about the Octomom. Steve Kastenbaum will be here from New York City talking about chimp attacks and other things of that nature. I wanted to read this really quickly to resolve something that came up yesterday. So we were talking about the, the sort of the great American peachy folder, which is that orange folder that everybody had when they were in school, which I think they have subsequently either discontinued or changed. There's a whole lot of things that, you know, like a lot of people, it's like you graduate from, you know, whatever, middle school or high school or something, and then your image in your head, your idea of how that school operates or how that that chunk of American education um, works is just sort of stuck at whatever it was when you left. So, like, in my head, everybody's still using trapper keepers as well, which is probably not the case. I mean, I, you put a gun to my head, I couldn't tell you if they use trapper keepers or not. But in my brain, everybody is still using the bright orange peachy. Although the last time I saw them, they'd turn blue inexplicably. But this says, uh, this is from our friend Siegfried. He says, Rick, I was doing a documentary on Timberline Lodge, and during it, I interviewed an ancient man who painted the lodge during its Roosevelt New Works deal project creation. He showed paintings in the old cafeteria, now the rec room, of paintings he'd drawn on leather. He also told me a lot of stories of the various women who are painted on the walls at Timberline Lodge. And he said, especially, which of these women he... Had relations with. 
He then showed me a peachy. It was the one we all had when we were at school. Especially, he showed me the drawing of a woman on the ski lift on the front of the orange peachy. He says it was a sketch he did of a picture he took at Timberline Lodge. Uh, he then told me that he banged her and, quote, she was really good. So, <laughs> is this in the documentary? <laughs> I don't know that that actually made it into the final cut, like Ken Burns style with, like, harmonica music in the background. This week on Our Oregon. <laughs> American Masters presents that guy who drew the peachy folder and who banged the girl who was, in fact, the model for the chairlift. Um, and anyway, he says, so if you remember doodling and writing, have seen things all over that picture in the peachy folder. He is the guy who drew it. Uh, he says they have the picture and a peachy on display in the first floor at Timberland Lodge by the dining room. Fantastic. So there you go. So, um... So I don't, I don't actually know who the guy is, but Siegfried does because he's interviewing him. So I'm going to email Siegfried and see if we can get the peachy art guy on. If only so I can kind of like lean on him until he tells the story about having sex with a woman from the, the chairlift, which is fantastic. The chairlift, and then we'll tie this all into the, to, the, to um, uh, uh, what's her name with the ski accident? Liam Neeson's wife. What is what's her name? name? Tim? Ms. Uh, Richardson. Ms. Richardson? Yes. So we'll talk to friend of Anderson Cooper. He said so last night. Is that true? Yeah, that's what he said. Does this mean I should tread lightly lest I incur the wrath of the Vanderbilts? Mm -hmm. All right. Uh, the chairlift thing kind of terrifies me anyway, though, because in my head that just has you dangling thousands of feet over a crevasse or a ravine or whatever. Mm. There's the whole thing. Skiing just terrifies me on every level. And me I, too. I've, I've never been comfortable, like, well, especially since I had that person hanging from my snowboard that one time. Yes. But... There's nothing holding you in, and it's swinging around, and you're like hundreds of feet in the air. Now, you're not belted into the chair? No. No, the bar comes down. No, I, I never had a bar. Maybe Ours it, was just a chair. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> Maybe one of your upper upper across sort of Tony ski lodges, Tim. <laughs> you get a seat belt. I've never been to one that, that didn't have the bar across it. No. Yeah, I've never been to one that does One of the Kennedys one. fell off. <laughs> well, I... Why a Kennedy? Well, usually they're skiing in that area. Oh, I'm sorry. Well, then maybe where Sarah has been skiing is not exactly the same. Maybe we travel in different skiing circles. Tim, where were you skiing, Sarah? Um, in Washington. There's one, uh, a place outside of Leavenworth. I went there, and then there's another place in eastern Washington. So she was skiing. I don't think of... I've been to either of those. So No. She was skiing outside a place named for a prison. So I guess that maybe does explain everything. Because see, how Sarah is describing the ski lift working is exactly how it looks in my head, which is you are in a chair, and basically it's just up to you to hold on to the chair lest you fall out to your doom. I guess with the wherever it is, and you were skiing in New England, though. Yes. Which sounds like a Barry Manilow song. And I guess they, they care more about New England lives than they do West Coast lives because you were uh, secured in there to make sure that you would not plummet out to your demise. I've never been on a cheerlift that didn't. There are also rope toes. Have you ever been on? You hang on to the rope and it pulls you up to the top? No. no. See, I, this is... Where a, are these fancy ski, <laughs> ski resorts you've been this to? This is like Hampshire in Vermont. Oh, that makes a lot of sense. This <laughs> is like that thing in Tannisborn, how you've got like, like, I don't know, like peacocks that they bring, that they, you know, decorate the neighborhood with and... You know, and Oompa Loompas and, you know, and sparkly. I have uh, in a while. I'm just saying we don't get, you know, we don't get that in Southeast Portland. I get homeless guys out front drinking our wine. Did I tell you this about how my wife has started giving away our leftover wine to homeless people? Are they now loitering? Well, but they were loitering before. But the, the deal was like we like the homeless guys were just sort of gathering out front like some sort of a like some sort of a bad street corner congregation. And so my wife, she'd gone out of town and she'd had like a dinner party or something the night before, and there was a half empty bottle of wine, a half full bottle of wine, and I just sat around and I didn't, I didn't drink it, so it just kind of went all rank over the course of a few days. So when she came back from being out of town, she was kind of cleaning out the kitchen. She's like, "What shall I do with this half empty bottle of wine? Well, I don't want to pour it out. That would be a sin." 
So she just went out and she gave it to the homeless guys who were on the street in front of our house who were just unbelievably grateful. And so her theory was that they were going to be there anyway. But if they know that the people who live in our house, if they know that she and I are giving them alcohol occasionally, that it is in their best interest to make sure we keep living there. So if they see anybody like skulking around or any sort of shenanigans or burglary going on, that they'll probably alert the authorities because they want us to, you know, they want us to keep living there so that they can continue to get their booze on. In any event, well, they just consider it a wine tasting. <laughs> exactly, Tim. <laughs> what do you think about the the nose on this? I, it's pretty great. Uh, get off the spiders! All right, it has a lot of body. Steve Kastenbaum coming up later on from New York City. And today's top five as well, plus Tim Riley at the news desk. It's the Rick Emerson Show, Rock 101 KUFO. It's the Rick Emerson Radio Program on Rock 101 KUFO. Thank you for joining us today. It is 503-733-2970. 503-733-2970. Coming up later on, CNN Radio correspondent Steve Kastenbaum about Jim Patex. Also, James Roop from Los Angeles about the Octomom. And we'll be talking to Lord Shahid Adam, also known as... Pepe Lamac. Or HRH. I'm sorry, His Royal Highness Pepe Lamac. Thank you, sir. He's written a book, Speed Pimpin'. It's Pepe Lamac's account of his astoundingly high success rate with the opposite sex. Apparently, a speed pimpin' will captivate and titillate. It's not subliminal, it's all on the surface, says this press release. Uh, plus, more news with Tim Riley and so forth. Uh, hello, hi, you're on the Rick Emerson Radio Program. Good morning. Yeah, hi, Rick. Um, I grew up skiing uh, in Vermont back east, and it was a state law there that they had to have safety bars. So they had safety bars that would come down, and no matter what would happen, if the chairlift stopped, this, this you would be the, safe. Uh, this is on the chairlift? Yeah, on the, on the, on the chairlift skiing. And then I, when I moved out here about 10 years ago, all of a sudden, the chairlifts have no safety bars. I don't know if like, they didn't want to pay for the extra metal or what, but if that chairlift stops, like it would seem that you would just be propelled to your death. Oh, it is scary as hell because, yeah, when it stops and it starts swinging forward, you're just grasping onto the pole. Where can we life. cut costs? I don't know. How about that thing that keeps people from falling off into a ravine? Sure, get rid of that. This is the first I've heard of this. Well, because it, it, what you were saying this is in Vermont, sir? Yeah, in Vermont, it was state law. All the chairs have to have safety bars. About what time would this have uh, been? When were you, when were you were you doing this? Seventies and eighties. Yeah. Well, see, so Tim was you know. So I, mean, I used to ski uh, Killington, and they all had them. They you, you yeah. ski what? Ski Killington. Well, it's a place in Vermont. I think so. I think everywhere you ski now today is Killington, Tim. Um, <laughs> oh God. I'm sorry. Too soon. Well, I guess technically it's too soon as well as uh, as well as morally. Um, so it's just Mainington right now. It just seems like that is, it seems like if you're going to have to sort of reduce the, 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 the weight or if it's like a load-bearing issue and how heavy can uh, they be. reduce weight of Americans. No, probably not, but I'm just, but I mean, maybe that's the thing. Maybe Americans are just such gigantic fat asses at this point. They sort of wedge themselves into the ski chair. Maybe, they, you know, maybe they're just sort of keeping themselves in there by dint of their girth. I wonder if they made the, the lip chairs bigger because people don't have 70s bodies anymore, obviously. I mean, but how, let me ask you this, sir. Uh, when you're skiing, you're going, you get in one of the ski lift chairs and it takes you up. How high above the ground are you? In other words, what is the maximum fall that it would ever be if you, if you were to come out of the chair? Yeah, it depends. In some places in the ride, it might be, you know, not too high. It looks like, well, you know, if this thing fell, you know, you'd be okay. And at some points, it's, like, you know, tremendously high, and you would certainly die. And actually, at one point, when I skied at Mount Snow, Vermont, 
uh, in the 80s, their chairlift, actually, a couple of the chairs got stuck at one of the stanchions, and they kind of <laughs> piled up on one another, and two or three of them fell. I mean, nobody was killed or anything, but they were hurt. And plus, you can give yourself that uh, that sort of the false comfort of, well, it's snow, I bet it'll be soft. Of course, that's not the case. No, right. no. Excellent. All right, thank you, my friend. Thanks, man. All right, there you go. Uh, it's 503733. Yeah, it's all packed powder. That's, well, it's, you know, it's like man made. And it's like the idea that it's a water landing or something, like if you're over the ocean. No, 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 it's just water. How hard could it be? The answer is as hard as concrete. Uh, hello, hi, you're on the Rick Emerson oh, radio good program. Good morning, I broke through on hold. Hello, hi, sir. Hi, yeah, sorry, little Phil Henders thing. Um, hey, uh, do you remember the old, um, that sound clip that had the girl who called in, or the lady who called in, um, to 911 saying, holy crap, there's a alligator in my kitchen? I think there was, I think some time ago, we had, there was a story, of course, from Florida, and there was a woman who had, she, I don't know, she was going into the kitchen to get herself some celestial seasonings tea or something, and there was a massive alligator in there. She called 911. Is this the woman who said, the operator said, how big is the alligator? And the woman said, it's huge! Yes. I do remember that story, yes. All right. Hey, Monster Quest, they actually had that woman on there. Really? They, yeah, they did not actually have the sound clip where she said, how big is it? It's huge. They did not have that on there, but they had everything else. And by the way, she did not look anything at all like what I am, uh, like what I envisioned. She was just, it was a very sort of, she was an elderly sounding woman from Florida, and when I heard she had that kind of high, thin, reedy, crackly voice uh, that old women sometimes have, and I pictured her looking like that Madam Puppet uh, from the 70s, like she was carved out of wood with like a steel gray bun of hair. And you know what? White Jewish. Yeah, no, she yeah, she was very incensed about the presence of the alligator in her kitchen. Oh, she uh, she was not prepared for that. All right, yeah. Monster Quest is a fantastic program, by the way. Um, it's kind of hit or miss sometimes when you get those niche science programs. Like there's that Smash Lab show that I was a, you know, I was really looking forward to that. We started running the promos for Smash Lab, and then it, it kind of turned out to be ass. It was it was like a bad it was like a bad frat boy knockoff of MythBusters. Like it just had none of the had none of the heft. Uh, of you know intellectually speaking of MythBusters and it, it, even the blowing stuff up wasn't all that great. So oh yeah yeah and Monster Quest they never find the monster. No of course not because uh, yeah because then it wouldn't be a quest and it would just be monster show. Yeah oh. and yeah all right you probably see it in the newspaper anyway. So. Thank you sir. Okay. <laughs> okay Thanks so much. <laughs> all right. It's five zero three seven. That's a lot of information this time of the morning. It really well you know you got to give him points for playing through what was obviously a whole lot of fatigue right there. You could hear that he was. Uh, he I mean, he kind of wound down. <laughs> I think he just fell asleep. It even, well, he wound down at the end, but even in the middle when he was going full speed, he had no. It was just like he was wandering in his own personal cerebral fog. Tim Riley is working on the following stories on this Wednesday morning. Well, the Octo Mom had something to say moments ago. I was really, really worried about the safety of everybody because they were they were all swerving and just getting out of their car every time there was a stoplight and just knocking on the, with their cameras knocking on all the windshields. Wow, she sounds really smart. Is it, is it even the right sound clip? What is she talking about? They took two of the Octo Baby. Oh, she's talking about the paparazzi. Okay, Isaiah and Noah. Our home. Yeah. And it's a good thing that she's not crazy and giving them all biblical names. <laughs> not case. Uh, all right. And uh, some of the other stories. Seattle is now a one newspaper town. Violence at Chuck E. Cheese is becoming a common occurrence. Birth it is. The Civil War ended 141 years ago today. 2,000 Canadians pay over $3,000 for a table to hear 
old President Bush, the one that we just got rid of. And Clowns Without Borders visits Portland. That's wonderful. Uh, all right. Um, this is all true. Coming up around the corner, Steve Kastenbaum from CNN Radio New York will join us, ladies and gentlemen. Coming up in the 7 o'clock hour, we have Pepe Lamac, author of Speed Pimpin'. We'll also talk to Jim Roof about the Octomom and the top five debut albums and their first track. Top five first songs from a first record. Say that's the Rick Emerson Show on Rock 101 KUFO. Don't go anywhere. It is the Rick Emerson Radio Program on Rock 101 KUFO. It's 503-733-2970. Still to come today, CNN Radio Correspondent James Rupon, the Octomom. We'll also talk to Pepe Lamac, author of Speed Pimpin'. Ladies and gentlemen, from New York City, let's welcome now to the Rick Emerson Radio Show, CNN Radio Correspondent Steve Kastenbaum. Hello, sir. Good morning. I actually want to stay tuned and listen to Jim Roop on the Octomom. I'm curious as to how that went. It really is. It's a golden time for news right now because I mean, you've got a whole bunch of stuff you're talking about. And then Roop is talking about he's got uh, the, the Octomom thing. And then I know that uh, I think Obama's going to be on Leno this week, isn't he? Isn't that the thing? Is it this week yeah. or next week? Yeah, uh, this week since he's out there. And then I think I think Lisa actually, Lisa Desjardins has got the. She's a Capitol Hill, and she's got a thing about Obama's because um, everybody's doing like the NCAA bracket now. And I think that actually the White House put out like their official uh, NCAA, you know, their sort of predictions and all that too. So. It's, and then uh, there's the AIG hearings today. So oh, we're dude. all busy. Did you did you see that story yesterday about uh, Tim? Where's that senator from? Iowa. Lick Skillet, Iowa. Iowa. Yeah. Uh, who's, who's suggesting that the AIG folks either repay the money or just get on television and take their own lives. <laughs> yeah, commit Harry Carey. Which, and then today he sort of clarified that. And it, here's the thing. When you cl- I don't think people understand what words mean anymore because when you say you're going to clarify something, saying that they're going to take their own lives and then following up with, well, l- let me clarify. I think when you say clarify it in that context you're really just talking about the manner you know what i mean you're really just trying to make the difference sort of make the difference between gunshot and i don't know sword but uh, but apparently I think, you, I think when you say let me clarify after making a remark like that you're basically acknowledging that the whoops yeah. i went too far <laughs> let me uh, get to fixing on my brain and then i'll uh, then i'll say that again all right well, i'll say i'll say yeah, seriously um uh, so let's talk a little bit about the uh, the AIG thing just for a second before we talk about the chimp attack, which just sort of seems to be in the news on an ongoing basis now. Mm-hmm. I know that everybody's agitating that these guys have got to give their money back and they got to give their bonuses back, but I, I don't really know that that's going to happen because it seems like they're still, like AIG, didn't, in, you know, not owned by the government or anything, right? It's still a private entity, even if it's regulated. So, you know, they get paid, they get to keep it probably. Well, it's, it's semantics, really, because we have something like an 80% stake in AIG right now. The government has handed them so much money that, uh, you know, that they're on the hook for that we, we sort of de facto run that company now. So is this like uh, the thing about how the government's taking a step? Was it Citigroup or City, Citigroup, Citibank, whatever, that the, the government was going to have like a 32% share in or they negotiated to do it? 36% share in Citigroup. So the, the banks, these, these financial institutions, AIG, haven't technically been nationalized, but, you know, the government is basically the only reason why they haven't failed. So, you know, in, in many ways, you and I, the taxpayers, actually sort of do own these companies. Continuing now, or at, least, at least a controlling stake. Propping them up as we do with everything, sir. Yes. So, so uh, our illustrious attorney general here in New York uh, fires off a letter to Congressman Barney Frank, the chair of the House Financial Services Committee, and says, 
Hey, look what happened here at AIG. 73 employees and executives received retention bonuses of a million dollars or more. The top guy received $6.4 million. The top 10 received a combined total of $42 million. And AIG is saying they were contractually obligated to pay these bonuses, but the Attorney General says, I'm not sure if that argument holds water because they wouldn't have been able to pay any bonuses. There wouldn't be money to pay them. If the government didn't come in and bail them out, yeah, I'm just. This seems like the uh, wrong time to be raising the ire of the American people. That's the only thing I'm going to say. It, whether legal, illegal, whether they, they follow the rules or not, this just seems like um, this is not the correct year in which to be getting on the bad side of the American populace because that's going to end. Uh, it's going to end it, poorly for you. It isn't. You know, things like this do not uh, play out well for for you if you're running a a big financial institution, but. You know, I, I went to the other side, and I spoke to some guys on Wall Street about this, and, and, you know, no surprise that they're defending AIG's statement that they had a contractual obligation to pay the bonuses, but they explained to me that, look, AIG already negotiated down the salaries for a lot of these guys to $1, so they had to pay them something. And some of the contracts, these bonuses weren't necessarily tied to the financial health of the company or whether the company was turning a profit, some of these bonuses are written in a way that they are directly related to the amount of business you bring into the company. So for every dollar you bring into the company, your bonus says you get a certain percentage. So if you look at it that way, you kind of think, oh, well, I could see why AIG is saying they were contractually obligated to do this. But, you know, if you're, if you're running this company and you know how the American populace feels right now, I think it's a lot better to say you're paying these guys a salary of a certain fixed amount of money than, than to say you're paying them a bonus. Or just quit answering your phone. I mean, if I were today at G right now, I think I'd send everything right to voicemail. You know what I mean? It doesn't matter who it is. There's nobody, there's nobody calling to give you good news. Not, there's not going to be anything uh, happy on the other end of that line. So I'd just be taking a good long while where I had, I just had a ringback tone that said something like, you know, I'm not going to be available for like a year. Please don't call me ever again. Hey, let me ask you about this, the chimp attack thing. So this, so there's the woman who was, who was attacked, attacked by the chimpanzee and, you know, lost the face and the, hey, hey, my elbows and where do my ears go and whatnot. And so her family is filed with a, this $50 million lawsuit. And $50 million lawsuits are always sort of interesting to me because you know that, I guess that's just a figure that they arrive at, like they pick it out of a bag or something, when uh, they sue somebody for more money than you know that they're ever going to make in 15 lifetimes. I, I guess they're presuming she has some sort of uh, insurance that will cover that tab. I don't know. But, yeah, they filed a $50 million lawsuit. The family of Charlotte Nash filed that against the owner of Travis the Chimp. Uh, they say that Sandra Harold was negligent and reckless in her ownership of a wild animal, that she knew the chimp had a history of violent and erratic behavior but failed to take adequate safety measures, and that the attack was her fault. But, you know, I mean, $50 million, is that going to make up for the fact that this woman's face was literally, I mean, torn off and her hands were torn off? I, I don't know. Could I chip was 200 pounds. Uh, could I tear off your face and hands for $50 million? Yes, no. No. Are you sure? I need my hands. Maybe I could do without the face. What if I, I tore off one of your hands uh, and then jabbed a pencil into one of your eyes? Fifty million dollars. Ooh, do well. Hmm. Am I? Do I have any sort of painkiller while you're doing this? Well, no, but you have painkillers afterward. Fifty mm. million dollars buys a lot of Vicodin, my friend. I've got a low tolerance for pain. Fifty you know, million. I, you wouldn't look. You guys could come and you could come and snip off my lips with a pair of garden shears for for less oh. than that. You know, I got to tell you, I went through uh, some some training where you know they teach uh, reporters how to survive in, in hostile regions, and of course, 
there's a whole section on 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 you know being taken captive, held hostage, and right, they, right. they show us some videos. You know, not the worst stuff that they've done to uh, to people, but you know, one guy as a show of of, of how uh, you know serious these captors were. They they took one captive and, and cut off his finger. And even that was, like, too much for me. Yeah, but, I mean, he's not being paid for that. I'm just saying it, it's all, you know, everything, look, everything's a bit of a wash. You get those guys who are on a, here's a perfect example. You watch that show, Most Dangerous Catch, those guys on the fishing boat in Alaska. Right. I mean, they, you know, they're getting paid, you know, you, you know tens of thousands a, a year, and you know, some guy out of there loses an arm. Every t- I mean, every single time you watch that show, there's, well, Bob was doing fine until that crab net snarled around his feet. You know, and the next thing you see is like you know he's pushing himself along like Eddie Murphy in trading places. But you know, as a friend of mine said, if you lose an arm on an Alaskan fishing boat, doesn't matter because the amount of money, as long as you can still sign the check, all is well. Um, my my only other question on this is, so this woman who got her face yes eaten away by the chimp, um, she was sort of friends with this woman for a long time. But like, wasn't like the chimp just. It wasn't like some sort of awful primate jack-in-the-box, right? Like where she went over to, to, you know, to visit the woman and she opened the front door and out comes, uh, out comes Bobo to take off your, your chin. I mean, she knew that the, the chimp was there, right? Uh, apparently, uh, yeah, that they were friends and, and she had seen the chimp before. But the family alleges that the owner of Travis knew that he was uh, in an agitated state that day. An agitated state. Yes. All right. What with the eating and all. Well, all right. It is. Uh, it is part of the rich human experience in this country, Steve. Isn't it crazy? You know. Uh, you know the things we're able, the frivolous things we're able to do here in the in in our illustrious society. You can own a chimpanzee. Well, here's well for for today anyway. Um, I will say this: the only interesting thing to me about the fact that this family is suing for fifty million dollars is it means there's going to be a long, drawn-out trial, and that means two other things. One. That we'll get to hear the sort of blow by blow, uh, bite by bite analysis of this whole incident as it happened. And two, I mean, if they have this trial, aren't they going to have to wheel the faceless woman into the courtroom at some point with her brand new face? You know, I have to be honest, I don't even know if she's going to survive. She's still heavily sedated, still listed in critical condition at Cleveland Clinic, uh, the hospital where they performed that uh, yes. first ever face transplant. And quite honestly, it sounds like they really don't know what to do with this woman. I'm just telling you right now, though, I'm just me to you. It wouldn't even take a million dollars. If you, if I could get 500000 and that's like tax-free, free and clear. I don't want to, have to, 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 to pay any sort of, uh, you know, any percentage of that to government. $500,000, I'd let you, um, you could, uh, I'd let you chop off either both my feet or one hand. Annie Wilkes style. You're in the Pacific Northwest. There's plenty of lumberjacks out there who'll probably uh, take you up on that. They would oblige me? All right. Yes. Excellent. <laughs> Thank you, Steve Castanbell. All, All right, right. See you. Enjoy your day, my friend. There you go. 503-733-2970, still to come. We'll have today's top five. Top five first songs on a debut record. The top five opening songs on a debut album. Also, Jim Root covering the Octomom. Tim Riley will be talking about stories that interest you, the radio listener. And we'll also have the author of Speed Pimpin'. It's the Rick Emerson Show on Rock 101 KUFO. It's the Rick Emerson Radio Program. Greetings and good morning to you. It's 503-733-2970. 503-733-2970. So, sometime in the next, I don't know, 20, 25 minutes, we're going to come up with questions for Pepe Lamac. I'm going to sort of get a broad sense of what we're going to ask him, but really I want to make sure that we're, uh, I want to make sure we're bringing our A game with this guest. And we have to figure out how yeah, we, we will position you to him. Should we say that you're, you know, co-host, producer Sarah Dillon, or should we say... No. Should we say you're a girl from the steno pool upstairs? Okay. 
This is one of our lovely office girls, Mr. Lamac. Uh, and I don't know. I don't deal well with somebody hitting on me. Yeah, well, maybe it wasn't but a good idea to it. volunteer to be part of a, <laughs> uh, a bit featuring the speed pimping guy. It's not every day I get to talk to Lord M. No, Shahid no, a, Adam. It's a rare occasion. So yes. He is royalty. We'll also talk to CNN radio correspondent Jim Roop about the Octomom, uh, and we'll uh, find out what the top five songs are from a debut album. Top five opening tracks from a debut record. This, however, is Tim Riley at the news desk. <laughs> In the news with Tim Riley. Our comic book holes include the D.B. Cooper mystery. These D.B. Cooper mysteries come out every week. Yeah, these stories just make me angry. I'm not even intrigued by them anymore. They just make me furious for some reason. Well, here's one that'll do it for you. One of the Northwest's most notorious crimes apparently has a comic book connection. Larry Kern, FBI agent, recently overseeing the case. I guess he's in charge. I now believes the hijacker may have taken his name from a French comic book. The Dan Cooper comic book was popular in France in the 1960s and early 70s, and one issue published around the time of the hijacking shows a character parachuting. For the love of God, you know what these D.B. Cooper this stories are like? This is an important clue. But it's not. I mean, if the, the comic book was ever translated into English, that's... That's why we don't know about it. But if they, if finding a parachute buried in a bunch of farmland last year, mm-hmm. right in the space where he was supposed to have landed, wasn't a clue, then this is a comic book from France from 1970 is not a clue. Here's the thing with D.B. Cooper stories, and don't get me wrong, I'm, as everybody can tell, I'm fascinated with D.B. Cooper, but it's just, it, it's like getting a bunch of accessories to a vacuum cleaner you don't own. You know what I mean? No, 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 here's the drapery attachment. Uh, here's the thing that does uh, linoleum. Here's the thing for in between the couch cushions. And it's like you don't actually have the vacuum cleaner. That's what all of this is. So I will continue to read them, but I will continue to be apoplectic about them. The Iowa senator says he really doesn't want AIG executives to kill himself. That's a shame. I don't know why he flip-flopped on this. Iowa Senator Charles Grassley told the Cedar Rapids radio station yesterday that AIG executives should take a Japanese cultural approach toward accepting responsibility by either resigning or commit suicide. Well, he told reporters lately he really doesn't want them to die. What I'm expressing here, obviously, is not that I want people to commit suicide. <laughs> uh, that's not my notion. Darn, uh, most Americans agreed with you on that one. When they don't, they come before the public and bow very, very deeply and express regret and may resign or may stay on. But the point is that they accept full responsibility. I wonder if that's one of those things that he said yesterday about them, how they should take their own lives. I wonder if one of those, like a word, that, you know, phrase that came out of his head and he wasn't really cognizant of it. Yeah, but he said this on a Cedar Rapids, uh, Iowa Radio, like Corn 105. <laughs> 250 watts. No one will ever hear this. Between the grain futures and the pet patrol. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I uh, I wonder if he sort of said it and didn't really think about it until later on somebody is, hey, hey, what was that thing about people killing themselves? And he said, what? I never said that. And then you listen back to you go, oh, wow, okay. We should demand that he retract his uh, his retraction on this, though. I had a lot more respect for him when he was at least sort of, you know, staking out a hard line and sticking to it. Here's Tim Riley. Embattled AIG chairman Edward Liddy will be in a hot seat. In Congress today, some lawmakers, including New York Democratic Senator Chuck Schumer, are threatening to take legislative steps to take all their money back. Oh, Mr. Liddy, I urge you to fix this mess, because let me tell you something, we are all fed up, and if you don't fix it, we will. Such a threat. Uh, Setting growing controversy, White House spokesman Robert Gibbs, he's the president's spokesman. He is starting to answer more questions as to why the Obama administration did not do more to aggressively stop all this. Secretary of Treasury did as much in his legal power at the time 
to lessen the impact of what we all understand is outrageous. This guy is kind of boring. No, he's completely uninteresting. He's no R.I. Flasher. He's no. certainly no D.D. Myers, and he's definitely no Ron Ziegler. This AI, but the AIG stuff was all, I mean, it, it seems like it kind of is coming to fruition now, but it was all being, the seeds were all being sown last year, I would think. I mean, I guess if you're in the seat, you kind of get the lumps. I mean, that's the thing. If you're in the, if you're in the gig, you take the heat for it. Uh, a good place to uh, see a good fight these days is Chuck E. Cheese. There seems to be something every week. Remember the wave of violence over Chuck E. Cheese? Well, no. Uh, two arrests have been made in an incident that occurred in Mannheim Township, Chuck E. Cheese, in Pennsylvania over the past weekend. Uh, let's see. Oh. 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 <laughs> Urine soak. <laughs> oh. Oh. It's too early for this. Well, uh, some unfortunate <laughs> The best part was like the concentric layers of hell I could see in your face as you read ahead in the story. Well, you think it's uncensoring yourself. The police were called to Chuck E. Cheese after a man asked two women to keep the obscenities to a minimum. Well, wait a minute. Now I, now I demand to know. Get, hand me the story. Let me, let me, let me see. It's, the fact that you, you sort of pulled back your lips in horror. Let's see here. Um, <laughs> this is the best phrase. I'm going to read this. All right, you. you I don't. I don't give a rip. I'm reading it. Uh, this is from. Uh, this is from somewhere. This is from. Where did you do this? From Pennsylvania. Yeah. Two arrests have been made due to an incident that occurred at Mannheim Township Chuck E. Cheese in Pennsylvania this past weekend. Do you want to hear it? Okay, come on. Apparently there was urine in the ball pit. <gasps> and you know the ball pit is that sort of ball like... ball pits are just like festering places anyway. For urine. That weird, that weird sort of netting uh, that is filled with all the like the plastic balls or whatever. And I think, here's the thing, I think back on it, I don't believe I was ever actually allowed to go in there because I think when Chuck E. Cheese opened in Kennewick, I was already past the like you must be under this this height to get in the ball pit or whatever. I was allowed to go in the ball pit, but I just remember that was during the age too of like horror stories of syringes and things being found in the bottom of them. By the way, I never really stopped to realize what an awkward phrase ball pit is. Get in the ball pit Um it does make you wonder what is down at the bottom of that because it's not like really it's sort of like shag carpeting in that way. It's not like really get to the bottom and clean that thing out. Anyway, also mm-hmm. it seemed a little spooky to me as a kid because you never really I mean, I guess logically looking back at it now, it was probably only three feet high, but it seemed to me that it could just go on forever. That it could, in fact, mm-hmm. be some sort of bottomless pit. That was the magic of it, though, when you were a kid. Yes, it was. Police were called the Chuck E. Cheese after a man asked two women to keep obscenities at a minimum around the kids. The two women, 36 and 17, threw a soda at him, punched him, and struck a manager in the face when he tried to step in. So there you go. Now, it's, oh, that is like... That is skipping right to the ninth circle when you go to uh, when you go to Chuck E. Cheese. It, it, Laura and I went to that one up on 82nd a while back, just as sort of a sociological observational experiment. It was, man, it, I mean, it was like being in some sort of weird methed out uh, romper room meets, uh, you know, like the booking center at the, you know, at L.A. County Jail. Hi, you're on the Rick Emerson Radio Program. What's up? Hello. Hi. Hello. Hello. Yes, it's you, sir. Oh, sorry about that. My phone's coming out. Um, ski lift. Yes, about the ski I used lift. to volunteer up on Mount Hood, and uh, and I noticed I I was there when they had the bars removed from the ski lifts on Mount Hood. Wait a because, minute, so on uh, Mount Hood they also don't have bars on the ski lift. Correct. They have safety belts. Do they have seat belts? Do they have anything like any? Is there anything on the on the on this on the uh, the seat that will keep you from falling out? No. Gravity. No, the seat tips back a little bit so that you naturally sit backwards. 
Yeah, but, uh, but, uh, but that's assuming that there isn't like a gust of wind or something. And here's the other question I have about this. We're talking about uh, what's her name? Richardson? Yes. Is that her name? Yes. The skied into a tree. Did she ski into a tree or did she fall off of something? I've heard she two skied different... into a tree. Okay. According to this report, well, she was fine at first. Um, the uh, the thing that perplexes me about this though is it's one thing if you just build the ski lift without seat belts or bars, but why would you go through the trouble of actually taking them off? Like, what is to be gained from that? Um, less injuries. Well, that's almost I certainly not the people, case. Most of the injuries that came from the ski lifts came from people having a hard time getting off at the end and getting wrapped around and headed back the way they came. Oh, that would be scary. Oh, I see. So if you can't, so if you were not able to sort of lift the bar or something, let's say your huge American girth was keeping you from properly accessing the release switch, then you would just end up on some like weird endless loop where you were going to the bottom and back to the top again. Wouldn't there be an attendant at right. the end raising the bar for them? Well, that's the other thing. Like, or you know, or couldn't they just make the? Couldn't they just make it a seatbelt, which means that you can adjust it, you know, as opposed to a bar or something? Uh, I need to know more about this story. It's a matter of hiring one extra person to push the. Well, we're doing more with less. Tim. With seatbelts, people wearing gloves or mittens, fumbling with the buttons, that's that's not going to be a fun thing. I mean, I guess I can see the logic of that statement, too, but I like how they have this sort of scorched earth policy, that it's ever so slightly difficult to lift the bar, so we're just going to remove them so you can dangle hundreds of feet above your demise. All right. Thank you, sir. They All just right. don't value life. No, that's not as bad as being trapped in a gondola. I've been... Like in Italy? No, like in, uh, in Leavenworth, uh... I can't remember the mountain. Again with the Leavenworth. I don't know. I've only been there. I've only been there once. I guess once it's a big touristy place. But there are gondolas that go the over Palm like Springs of Washington. Gondolas that go over mountain peaks and stuff, and you're just on a hook, you know, just kind of. And you've got no belt holding you. No in. belt. No Why nothing. did you ever agree to do this? I didn't. I didn't know. I just, you know, a bunch of people that I went to college with are like, let's go skiing, and I wanted to be cool. I'm like, all right, yes. Skiing. How is it possible that hundreds of people don't die every year? Honestly, I thought at one point it's the gondola stopped and it started swinging oh, back and forth, ah. and we're over these like mountain peaks. I think it's one of the highest gondolas in the in the country. I don't even like to think about that. That's just terrifying. I mean, it's like Why don't we all go do it. Well, see, here's the thing. I'll tell you right now. I've actually I've never been skiing in my life, and multiple. And I, you know what? You know, you call me gutless. Call it's me gutless. Fun. I don't care. Um, it, that is one of those things that I was invited to do a couple times when I was growing up. Like, we'd have uh, friends who were somewhat well-to-do, and they'd say, Hey, we're going skiing. Do you want to come along? And even at, like, I think 10, 11 years old, no, 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 I don't wish to come along. I'll be at home. Because it's like every time you, and I think a lot of the, it had to do with the depiction of skiing and the popular culture, where every time you see it, it's always some guy with his leg in a cast. Now, granted, he's gathered around the fire with a bunch of snow bunnies, and he's sipping cider and preparing to go have carnal relations. But still, I'm going to be busting up my legs. And as a, I think, by the way, that that is sort of underscored by the fact that about every six months we have somebody who, you know, skis into a tree. So, and the only the reason the trees are there, I mean, it must be to make it more challenging, right? Well, I mean, well, why well, else would they leave trees all over the hillside? Well, some you can't remove because some ski areas that I know of back east are in national forests, so you can't move the trees around. So they had to build where the trees were. Well, that's, I mean, you shouldn't build where it's covered with trees. It seems like if you're going to be, you know. Mountains generally do have trees. Yeah, I, okay, I understand that. But some areas. People have axes, Tim. We could be removed. That's like saying that because a highway is going to go through uh, Oregon, we ought to just leave trees sprouting up out of the concrete everywhere. That wouldn't make any sense. And if somebody drove into a tree on the, you'd say, well, what do you expect? It's covered with trees. People, People drive into trees all the time. Yes, they do, Tim. Can't remove every single one of them. Well, I suppose that's the case. It would remove all the fun. 
All right. Around the corner, we'll talk to CNN Radio correspondent Jim Roop. Also, more from Tim Riley at the news desk. Uh, we will assess our interrogation of the speed pimping guy who will come up next hour. And uh, we'll also uh, look forward to today's top five, which is the top five opening songs on a debut record. It's the Rick Emerson Show on Rock 101 KUFO. Indeed. It is 503-733-2970. 503-733-2970. It's Wednesday morning, 708. And whatnot. It's the Rick Emerson Radio Program coming up later on in this hour. CNN Radio correspondent James Roop from Los Angeles talks about the Octomom. Later on, we'll find out the uh, Obama administration's NCAA picks, and I'm not making that up, by the way. That's a story being broadcast by CNN News. That is the world's premier news-gathering and disseminating organization. We'll talk to the speed-pimping guy at the bottom of the hour. So I'm thinking this. Right out of the gate, I'm going to give all the questions away ahead of time. I think out of the gate, I'm going to do my James Lipton, my sort of inside the actor's studio uh, thing, which I uh, bring back every now and again, sort of a, tell me, what is speed pimping? And then I'll ask if his mother knows that he's a speed pimp. Yes. And so I was thinking about it, too, and I don't know if I'm going to be able to play something that I'm not. I'm not a very good actor. Well, I mean, it wasn't, yeah, I, I think the the theory was that we would have you sort of pretend that you were pimpable, but I think we all know that's not the case. But you know that if, if I'm not, if I don't succumb to his pimpiness, then he's probably going to like be like, oh, she's a bitch. And we don't, and, and we can't really act on this show, at least speaking for Sarah and myself. Mm-hmm. Tim, of course, is, Tim an is an actor. He's an accomplished thespian, but uh, I'm Sarah not speaking I, with the pimp. I don't. No, you'll be you're you're an observer, Tim. You'll you'll be Just there. Observe the pimp. You'll be there observe looking the pimp <laughs> at a distance. <laughs> be a pimp observer. Okay. You know that clicking noise on your computer's never really gone away. I keep trying to fix well, it. I have a noise. sticky note to remind you. I keep someone told me that I had to replace all the clicking noises on your computer with the Howard <laughs> Dean scream. Just so every time you uh, you know, every time you go to like press any sort of a button, so like if you're trying to open a window you'd hear like a <laughs> Which at least I think would prompt us to finally get it fixed in any event. It's uh, 503-733-2970. In a moment, we'll be joined by our good friend Richie Bristol. Because I want to know, we're not going to have Richie here in the studio during the pimping segment, because that would just be bad. It'll be yeah, too much pimping. But I do want to find out exactly what Richie wishes to learn, since he said, this is the first book in six years that I'm going to read. Hello, hi, you're on the Rick Emerson radio program. Good morning, Rick Emerson Show. Hello, sir. Hello. This is Dante the Camp Dropper. Hello, my friend. How are you? I am fantastic. Hey, I think you should go with the five phrases interview with this speed pimping dude. Oh, the, uh, the you must work the following five phrases into the segment? Yes, and if you are successful, I'd be willing to donate a copy of The Erotic Adventures of Zorro to do, you, sir. Do you possess a copy of The Erotic Adventures I, of Zorro? I, in fact, own a copy of The Erotic Adventures of Zorro. Do not ask why. VHS or DVD? Uh, this is actually it's DivX. Uh, all right. Well, all right. I'll take it under advisement, sir. Okay. All right. Thank you. I appreciate that. All you right. know you want it. Well, that's the thing we haven't done in a long time. The the, the working five phrases into a into an interview. But we're under the gun here. I mean. Yeah. I, it, it's only I just, about twenty minutes. I mean, I I don't know. I don't think that's going to come together. We'll have to we'll have to revise. So what are you going to call him? Because he has like three names. It's like His Royal Highness. I'm not, Lord calling, him, I'm not calling him His Royal Highness. That's not going to happen. So I'm you're going to call him Pepe Lamac, Lord might, M. Shahid, or HRH? I might call him Mr. Mr. Lamac. Um, let's welcome now to the uh, Rick Emerson him. radio program. Richie Bristol, you'll uh, join us in here. We'll get a handle on what Richie wants to, uh, what Richie wants to find out. In the meantime, Tim Radley's working on the following stories on this Wednesday morning. So here are the headlines. They may soon be legal for bicyclists to run stop signs and red lights in Oregon. 
The Pope claims condoms make AIDS worse. More Americans than ever fear the return of the Great Depression. A new study shows obesity may take years off your life. And Congress right now is greeting the AIG chairman. Remind, are they greeting him with, yeah. a, with, a, with a nine iron with and a, a baseball bat? Seriously, and a sword. Um, remind me to come back to that bicycle thing later on. All right, day. we'll do I'm that. Sorry. Richie Bristol, hello. How are you today, Good sir? Good morning, Rick. All right. Um, so, when is the last book you read, and when was it? Ah, uh, jeez. Celestine Prophecy? The Celestine You prophecy. read the Celestine Prophecy? Celestine, whatever. It's spelled Celestine. <laughs> <laughs> okay. okay. Where you see energy and stuff. And, and people have messages yeah. for you. At were first, you, it looks like a like a real book. But where, where, you see, where you see energy and stuff. And stuff. All right. <laughs> right. Um, so, hey, uh, so as you are back there screening calls and doing what you do so well, the speed pimping guy should be calling us around 730 or so. But I know you were very excited because you said that this was actually going to be, quote, the next book I read. Yeah. So, <laughs> what is it you're looking to learn? Where do they go from the Philistine prophecy into Speed pimping. Maybe you can put in. Uh, maybe you can put in like a John Jakes novel in there somewhere. What is what is it you're trying to learn from the speed pimping guy? Well, how to pick up ladies quick. Yeah, I. Okay, easy. I, I guess I, I easy ladies. Sorry. Could, could you be more vague about it? <laughs> you just repeated the name of the book back to Rick. Oh, I did. And also, oh. that doesn't how make do you any pick sense up ladies you, easily. If you're picking up easy ladies, like. The answer to that is in the question. They're they're sluts, Richie. You don't need to worry about picking up sluts. Sluts go to Greek cuisine and buy them like some shots. Really, I mean, sluts sell themselves, Richie. It's uh, not like you really me. have to. There's not a full court press there or something. It seems like the whole point of a book like this, Richie, would be to pick up women who are not easily pick upable. You know yeah, I, mean? I didn't think of that. Yes, that's a good idea. So, what else do you want to know from them, Richie? Uh, how to do it in like five seconds, or what? What's it say? Doesn't it say you could do it in five words or less? I don't believe he makes any such claim. No, he doesn't. Oh, well. He could just walk down the street and pick up women. I need to know how to do that. Like the one-minute pimp. Well, yeah. Well, <laughs> see, this is what I, you could take a lesson from Tim Riley, who boils it down to its bare essence. Oh. It's sort of like a six-minute abs thing, but it'd be like, <laughs> like six-minute ass. And uh, then there's a laugh track, and then somebody plays like a wacky quack quack sound, and then we say weenie in the butt. All right. All right. Thank you, Richie. You, well, may, show. you, you may go now. Okay, bye. <laughs> All right. Wow. Okay, don't do that. What did he do? God almighty. I think he was screaming the word pimping as he left the studio. All right, you know, the next time I decide to have him weigh in in advance of a guest, remind me how poorly this went so I don't do it anymore. Okay. God almighty. All right. Around the corner, Jim Roop from CNN Radio Los Angeles will talk Octomom. Tim Riley is ahead with news at the news desk. Uh, the speed pimping guy. Plus, later on, we'll talk to Lisa Desjardins from Capitol Hill. And today's top five, top five opening songs on a debut record. It's a Rick Emerson show on Rock 101 KUFO. Completely true. It's the Rick Emerson Show on Rock 101 KUFO. You can reach us at 503-733-2970. 503-733-2970. I completely failed to hit the post there. Coming up here in just moments, CNN Radio correspondent James Roof. More of your phone calls. Plus, Pepe Lamac. Every time I say it, it makes me feel sillier. Uh, the author of Speed Pimping. You should ask him how he got his name. Uh, that's a good question, mm-hmm. exactly. That's a good question, exactly. Well done, well done. Pepper and Lamac. All right. Uh, Lisa Desjardins will join us later on today, and we'll also have today's top five. Top five opening songs on a debut record. Uh, let's really quickly get this. Hello, hi, you're on the Rick Emerson radio program, sir, madam, as the case may be. Uh, well, Buenos Diaz, good morning. Hello, sir. 
I am sick and tired of this whole D.V. Cooper crap, too. Uh, it seems like every year there's some redneck out of the woods who finds, like, a fingernail and swears it's D.V. Cooper. <laughs> totally. No, 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 I found an indiscriminate hank of hair. And yeah. then, you know, then they got to bring out John Douglas to profile the hair chunk to try to figure out where it came from. Yeah. I think all it really is is they get out there hunting and they get a little drunk or something like that and they tear the, they tear the shirt they're wearing, which belonged to their daddy back in the 50s, and they're like, oh, this is D.B. Cooper's shirt. It, it is sort of interesting if you think that D.B. Cooper is a bit like a flesh and blood version of that alien gray that always seems to be looking in Art Bell's window late at night. So. Yeah, D.B. Cooper is only slightly more real than, um, let's see. Sasquatch? Well, I mean, uh, he was... El Chupacabra? I mean, he was a real person at some point, but uh, he's also become an industry. That's the whole thing, because if you're in the Northwest, there's, I mean, there's like a million uh, little bars and taverns and towns and whatever that have, in some small way, a uh, vested financial interest in D.B. Cooper. So, not I, at, uh, when, when we lived in the Coop, we were a Nielsen family, and every time something came on about Sasquatch, El Chupacabra, alien abductions, or D.B. Cooper, we'd change the channel. You'd change it angrily and with prejudice. All right, there you go. That's uh, Dan. Dan, right, thank you, sir. Let's welcome now to the Rick Emerson Show from Los Angeles. I mean, look, I'm irritated by things, but that guy seemed disproportionately angry. I mean, it is, it is morning, sir. Hello, Jim Roop. How are you? Good morning. It's morning in America and in Portland, so it doesn't seem like it. it doesn't seem, and who's angry at Sasquatch? What, what, I mean, really, who sits around and gets uh, sort of seethingly frustrated about the Yeti? It doesn't make any so sense. There must be a whole underground uh, society who hates the Yeti. Let me tell you this. Uh, right here in the Northwest, in um, Skamania, uh, Skamania County is actually the only place in the world where it is illegal to shoot Bigfoot. There is actually a law against uh, shooting or, quote, molesting of Bigfoot or a Bigfoot-type creature, sir. Mm. So just uh, duly noted, if you're up here doing some hunting, you see a thing I'm with a zipper on its back. Bigfoot, I promise. <laughs> make that solemn vow right now. Uh, all right, where are we at with this hideous octomom uh, woman? She has two of the kids home. Boy, what a mess that was last night. Um, I, uh, you would think someone would have gotten killed, but uh, everybody got out unscathed for the most part. Well, because the paparazzi are just advantaged on her like green on you grass. You know, I don't get that. I honestly don't get the obsession. I know she's weird and all of that, but, I mean, they were, I mean, it was Britney uh, Spears-esque uh, craziness uh, at that place. I mean, they were hanging on the SUV, uh, trying to get in the garage. Uh, the garage door coming down on people, people falling down. Photographers and cameras dropping to the ground as the SUV kept rolling. I thought somebody got run over. But it was absolutely a mess. And I, and I, I don't get it. I don't know why I'm even covering the damn thing. But it's some sort of interest in this crazy woman. Well, it's sort of a Keynesian uh, thing. I mean, I guess maybe it's a maybe it's a demand side economics uh, deal because here we are asking you about it, which is why CNN keeps sending you out to cover it. The question is, if they send her home with two of the kids, I mean, what raises uh, two points. One is, I mean, we even know how she's going to be taking care of them for now. And then the second thing is. Does that then mean that everybody kind of knows where she lives? And the only reason I ask well, everybody is everybody knows is, where she lives. Because she has so much public ire about the fact she's like fifty grand in debt, and you know she's on food stamps and doesn't have a job, and you know and seems to be more than a little uh, nutty. So it it seems like everybody kind of knows uh, where she lays her head at night. That's going to end poorly. Well, I'll tell you, she uh, is taking advantage of everything coming her way. Every you know from they had to baby proof the home, and that was donated. The all the cribs. The backyard is a hypoallergenic astroturf of some type, all donated. Uh, the diapers, the formula, everything is donated. And she's getting six nurses working around the clock 
to help her care for all 14 kids because all of her kids are under eight and some of them have some developmental issues. And so she's getting all of this free care, for heaven's sakes. And they said, you have to get more toys because your toys are too dirty. So she went out and got a bunch of free toys for her kid, too. So her kids. Have they ever figured out who the dad is? Because there was some guy uh, that was in the news a while back and was like, I'm the Octo Dad. And then I think he was just debunked as being as being a oh, whack job. A, but... There was another guy out there for the past couple of days, big trench coat wearing guy with some interesting stuff under his coat. I think he had a turkey baster. So, yeah, yeah, he was Octo Dad. That guy was pretty hilarious. I mean, you would imagine if you are the uh, the donator of the seed at this point, you're probably trying to keep a low profile. Uh, yeah, uh, it, it really <laughs> yes. Mm-hmm. Um, it, I, I you know I honestly, Rick, I don't get the whole obsession with this woman. It was crazy at first because I think we talked about this how he went from this uh, the, the day of the birthing was January 26th or something. The, the babies were born. It was the same day that that guy killed his family. You know, so everybody was kind of grabbing onto that as the good story of the day, and then it just evolved into this weirdness that people just couldn't release. The best part is that I can see your life for the next 20 years, because every year and five years, they're going to send you to the hospital and to the woman's home, and then when they get old enough, to interview all of the Octo children. I'll tell you, I got a feel for her with this one thing. Everybody's going to want a driver's license at the same time. Everybody's going to be filling out college applications at the same time. I never really thought about that. Dude, I've been through all of this. Imagine I, I, I'm doing one college app and scholarship uh, applications. I can't imagine eight. God, imagine imagine eight heads full of teething all at once. Yeah. That's going to be a lot of fun. You can't, you, once you change one diaper, or you, once you, you can't change all the diapers and rest. Once the last diapers change, at least two more are going to be dirty. <laughs> So you're on, you're sort of like uh, you're sort of like Lucy with a conveyor belt full of candy, except you know, it's uh, not candy. In in that respect, I feel for this woman, but she, you know she made this better self, and and so I, I you know I can't get too much. Well, I have compassion. I don't have as much sympathy as I probably should. I was going to say, you know what? Leave it to the. Uh, we'll let the uh, the Sasquatch guy be the one who gets all exercised. About there you go. Morning. We'll let him be the repository of all the anger today, my friend. All right, sir. Uh, as always, a pleasure. We will talk to you very soon, bro. Thank you. All right, there you go. Jim Roop in Los Angeles. It's 503-733-2970. Around the corner, we'll talk to the speed pimping guy. Tim Riley is working on some headlines for you on Wednesday morning. Tim? It's just in from Capitol Hill. The chairman and CEO of AIG says some of the insurance giants' bonuses are distasteful, but just some. Uh, it'll soon be legal for bicyclists to run red lights and stop signs here in Oregon. More Americans fear the return of the Great Depression more than ever. The Civil War ends 141 years ago today. 2,000 Canadians pay over $3,000 a table to hear former President Bush speak to fellow Canadians. And clowns without borders visit Portland. That's all on the way, ladies and gentlemen. It's the Rick Emerson Show on Rock 101 KUFO. It is the Rick Emerson Radio Program. It's 503-733-2970. It's time for another exciting installment of Relentlessly and Shamelessly Pandering to Men Between the Ages of 25 and 54. Right here on Rock 101 KUFO. All right. We've been getting sort of excited emails about this ahead of time. So without further ado, ladies and gentlemen, as discussed relentlessly over the last uh, day or so, I'd like to welcome to the Rick Emerson program the author of Speed Pimpin, P-I-M-P-I-N apostrophe. Shall I call you uh, Pepe or Mr. Lamac or Mr. Mac? I think Mr. Mac is a clothing store. How shall I address thee, sir? <laughs> Oh yes, yes. I'm Lord. I'm Lord Shahid. Uh, Pepe Lemak is just a character in my book. 
Oh, I'm so so you in fact are not Pepe Lamac. This is very this is very confusing. Is this like an Eminem Slim Shady thing, or is Pepe Lamac <laughs> a fictitious character that you have created? Uh, uh, absolutely, it's a fictitious creator. I oh. mean, a fictitious one of my creations or whatnot. I see. Okay, let me let me understand this. So you yeah, yeah. wait, hold on. Is it Lord Shahid or is it Lord M Shahid? Yeah, I usually go by Lord Shahid because you know Lord E could say Lord M Shahid. I usually go by Lord Shahid. Lord say. Shahid. Now is that is the Lord part? Is that actually on your birth certificate, or is that like a, sort of like sometimes in the South they will call people Colonel? No, no, uh, that right there is the actual title I received when I was in England. I received it from a prince while I was up there. You know, this was Prince Michael to be exact. This seems it like it really can't. Nice. This sounds like a story that can't possibly be true. <laughs> Under what circumstances would it, did a prince give you the title of Lord? I'm just sort of looking for some context for this. Hey, no problem, no problem. No, I mean, I, I guess you know, prince has got a Mac too, I suppose. But I mean. <laughs> Were you over there giving your your pimpitudinal skills to the to the royals? <laughs> Absolutely, I was having a blast over there. I was doing some charity work over there, and I used to have these business cards that said Sir Shahid, blah blah blah, like that, right? And then I was to give it to the um, give it to one of the one of his individuals, one of his people. Yes, sir. And uh, they seen it. They said, uh, "Sir, so you've been knighted by the queen?" I'm like, "No, no, that's the title my buddies gave me." So, would you like to actually have a title, but you won't get any kind of royalty from the from the state? You just be able to have the title. I like. Sure. So they gave me some paperwork. I registered and it was good to go. Do they, do they have to do a thing where they like uh, balance a sword on your shoulder and then you had to like pledge undying loyalty to the monarchy or something? Or did they just sort of like go, here you go, and they like stamped it and then sent you on your way? Yeah, that's it. Uh, that didn't send me on my way because if I, if I had to do that, then, you know, I have some kind of undying loyalty to the queen and I highly doubt that. I'm, well, you know, get in the way of your, uh, get in the way of your pimpology, sir. Uh, absolutely. Absolutely. Let me, let me ask you this: What is what is speed pimping with an apostrophe? If one had to define this in like a sentence or two, if somebody said, you know, like, one to just sum it up? What, what is what is to speed pimp, sir? Um, it's an art of persuasion uh, quicker than normal. I.e., okay, let's say you're in a business world, right? Yes. And um, you, you, I know you know some of these guys. As a matter of fact, if you want to be real, our president speed pimping at the speed of light. I'll break that down to you. Okay, he's given his speech and everything, but millions of people across America, everyone, he had to persuade everyone to understand that he is the man. All right? So the Joe everyone, he had to persuade the masses of people to understand them. He works in the business world, but let's say, take it to famous terms like you and I, talking to, talking yeah. to the opposite sex. All right? You're speaking at a rate, you're speaking to this person, to this individual, i.e. a woman, and breaking it down to her, it's the art of persuasion. I think I get where you're coming from, my friend. Wait, is yeah. it, so you are saying that Barack Obama is in fact sort of the pimp in chief? I mean, really, for lack of a more <laughs> for lack of a more formal title. All right. Well, absolutely, maybe we can get absolutely. somebody to officially crown him that and give him a piece of paper that says that. Does your mother know that you're a Does your mother know that you're a speed pimp? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I written it down. I wrote it down for her and everything. She said, "Baby, are you pimping?" I'm like, "No, no, love. It's just a it's just a, a book about a story about a guy who." Uh, they had all these crazy mad adventures and whatnot. Do you, suppose that, uh, do you suppose that your mother tells her friends that you do something else, like that you're an accountant or something? I mean, I'm just curious. <laughs> yeah, she tells people I'm an author of uh, several books and whatnot. Yeah. So, so I'm reading here from your press material, and this is the, here's the line that we really seized on. It Give says, it to me. women flock to him, and I understand this is Pepe Lamac, not you, but sort of the, the character who I guess is the embodiment yeah, yeah. of all your pimping skills. It says, women flock to him by the dozens, and that's just for the early part of the day. And at one point, it says, even those he did not mean to get or want. So is the is this sort of a thing where once you turn on the pimping skills, sir, that it becomes like a 
It's like one of those air wick things that you stick into the uh, the wall that refreshes the room all the time. You can't turn it off. Like if you're just, you know, if I'm just walking down, walking down the store to get a bagel or something, am I going to be inadvertently pimping every woman I pass? It's, it's weird. It's crazy. It's like you, uh, when you master art of persuasion, sometimes you don't know exactly when you're going to do it. Like, for instance, you're just speaking to a lady and everything. Yes. And let's say you might have read several books or whatnot, or are you just, this just became part of your aura, become part of your personality. And without even knowing it, you might have accidentally flirted with this woman, and she before you, she's like, what, what's going on? Before she even knew it, but either got her number or set up a date, and you just, you're just being yourself, you know? The thing is, it's like when you think with, like, when I was dealing with subliminal technology and whatnot, right, you know, I checked yeah. out a lot of uh, 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 subliminal uh, programs and whatnot, and come to find out people that um, learned about the art of attracting the opposite sex, yeah. they can listen to these subliminal messages or whatever, come find out they do it subconsciously without even knowing it. Well, it's so crazy. It, so it is in fact crazy, sir. I can sense from here. I can sense the crazy. Uh, Absolutely. My producer slash co-host Sarah Dillon uh, is right here. Sarah, uh, say hello yes. to, uh, to to Mr. Uh, Lord Shaheed. Hello, Lord J- Shaheed. All right. Hello. How are you? You're Very right. well. Thank Sarah's you. Sarah's been fascinated by your book and whatnot, and so I. Are you? Yeah. Are we going to be seeing a copy of this book? I'd love to see it. And really, my question to you is: Absolutely. Just, we'll do like a little, just a little role play here. So let's say, uh, oh, sir, gosh. that you are, uh, you know, you're walking to the post office to buy yourself some stamps. And you see Sarah, who's a very attractive young lady, and you you, know, mm-hmm. you, you pass her on the street, or maybe she's standing mm-hmm. in line uh, because she's got to, uh, you know, she's got to be uh, sending a package off or whatnot. Yeah. What would you say to her? What is your opening line to uh, to pimp? Or do you have to uh, say Sarah anything Dillon? at all? Or is it just your vibe? <laughs> I mean, what's your opening line to her going to be? Okay, it's um, nothing too basic. I said, look at her like, hello, how are you? She said, obviously she's going, huh, hello. Oh, I love your hair. The hair looks nice. And obviously she's going like, what? No, I really like it. It looks pretty good, you know? And I just start breaking down about that. She said, excuse For you know, she's going to, most likely she's going to smile like, oh, my God, that is so crazy. For you know, we're just in a small conversation. I'm just going to speak about something basic. I'm going to speak about something in, going on inside the uh, post office, right? I said, yeah, it's pretty nice today. Oh, check that. And I just bounce around so much. Before she know it, she's in a conversation with me. She almost forgets she's in line. I'm I like, uh, <clears throat> I really have to say right now, I think uh, just my read on Sarah and her body language, right, is I think the seduction may even, as we speak, be happening over the phone, sir. <laughs> she sounds pretty as well, anyway. You know, and the thing yeah. is, and let's just all say this, hey, women, they all have hair. Am I right? That's right. So, I mean, that's, right. that's a line that you can never go Unless wrong with. they don't. Unless never. they don't. All right. Do you ever find yourself pimping ugly women by mistake? You know, you're oh talking to a woman, and suddenly, you know, she's like, it's, you know, she's like a wildebeest, and you're just, you'd say to yourself, "By God, <laughs> I have pimped the ugliest woman on earth. How can I turn this power off?" Oh my God, that's when it becomes a curse and a blessing at the same time. Yes, yes, a blessing because you're talking to beautiful woman like Sarah. You know, you sit in conversation, you may not even get her number. Heck, you may or may or may or may not set a date with her. Is this However, before or after I've talked about uh, how it's nice outside today? Yeah, absolutely. You know, it's pretty nice. Oh yeah, and she's yes. going to like speak about something. So what's going on? What are you doing? She said, well, I'm going to have a medalist bag. I said, oh, is that right? And I'm going to think of something that she's doing, and I'm going to relate that to something I'm doing or I might have done. And for you know, we're just going to be shooting the breeze. So you say, for example, like, you're at the post office. I'm at the post office. I like your hair. Some weather. Right to the phone number. (laughs) Excellent. (laughs) You are sort of a, you're a Jedi of pimpitude, sir. Awesome. Let me ask you: Do you ever have do you ever have a woman catch on to the fact that you are in fact attempting to speed pimp her, my friend, and then she calls you out on the game? Oh my God! Uh, it was one time, maybe a couple of times, right? Yes, a woman just uh, before I was uh, giving her number or whatever. She's like, "Wait, 
um, this is quite quick. What are you doing? I'm like, huh? What? Oh, nothing. I'm just trying to, you know, just. She said, oh, I know what you're doing because she read. I think she heard about the yes. book or something like that. She said, no. Your legend had preceded you. That's right. That's right. That's right. It yes. preceded me. <laughs> it was beautiful. Yes. It was beautiful. All right. The the, uh, the website is speedpimpin, P-I-M-P-I-N dot org. Speedpimpin.org. What is next for the speed pimper, sir? What is, uh, what is next on your horizon? <laughs> Okay, uh, Speed Tempin is a sequel to this uh, other book I wrote called um, Your Right to Remain Silent. It's, you could say it's like a prequel to that, if you will. Yeah. You know, And then after the next book, should be out in stores within the next month or so. It's called Poison Reality, The Day That I Ruled the World. Excellent. I'll be, uh, I'll be keeping an eye out for it. All right. Absolutely. Th thank you, my friend. Lord Shaheed, author of Speed Pimpin. Richie Bristol, can you talk to him and whatnot? All right, the whatnot count is it, is it I think, 13. <sighs> Wow. That is the most ridiculous thing I have ever heard. That was like we fell into some weird... This is why we have microphone off buttons. You can't hear Tim and I laughing. Gee, that radio TV interview report book works really well. At Richie, yes. Richie can you get his number so I can call him after the God, show? God Almighty. Holy God. By the way... I'll the, take warped perceptions for a thousand. I, uh... Really, and did you get the feeling that he was sort of uh, calling us with like the phone cradled by his shoulder while he was uh, like working in like an office supply store or something? It was like, like, it was, I can't believe I'm really on the radio. <laughs> this is the first time. This I wonder, this is I the wonder first if we're the first people uh, that have called I, I, him. I, I bet and it we felt were. bad toward the end because it was so ridiculous. That guy, you know what? Like, that I guy had no. That guy had no self-awareness. That guy had no... He, he was, did not know how ridiculous he sounded. No, he was, that guy was totally on his own thing right there, which is why I, which is why I don't that feel bad terrific. at all. That guy was, you know, I have it to say... It was one of your greatest interviews. <laughs> and then she knew that I was speed pimping her. She thought that, and what is this, and she recognized me she, from the book. She goes, are you pimping? <laughs> you be pimping me? You know, I wasn't going to have sex with him until he mentioned that it was nice outside. And he liked my hair. And he liked my hair. And then I just took my pants off right Before there in the Home Depot. I know she's going to forget she's in line for the, for the post office because he says that he likes my hair. Yeah. Right. And then I came well, up and I smelled it. He's very effective. She's in line, Sarah. The sex line. Good God. Right. Well, that, that was, was the first radio interview he's had. <laughs> and apparently he is Lord Shahid because a prince and whatnot. Gave him that title. And he just filled out a document. And so he was already a sir. I, uh, and then I'm, then he was a lord. I'm very, I'm very confused. Uh, I don't even know. Here's the thing. I don't even really know how to feel about it. I just came out of that feeling very sort of flummoxed. I wonder if that was secretly Joaquin Phoenix in one of his new personas. Right. That could be. I think we got more out of that than we thought. Wow. I Honestly, that's just like the gift that we'll keep on giving. I was so afraid he was going to be one of those Magnolia Tom Cruise like smooth talking guys. You know, I was afraid that I would succumb to the pimping. <laughs> His wiles would be irresistible. Yes, that I would not be able to just find yourself unhooking your bra charm. right here in the studio. Oh, I'm sorry, Mr. Pimp. I just uh, I'm overwhelmed. Thanks for throwing me under the bus there. <laughs> like throwing you under the bus. Like I'm just sitting talking to the speed pimping guy myself. I know that's true. I didn't really know how to. Interject. What am I going to do? Would ask him to pimp me, sir? Can you? Uh, is your pimpitude in fact so powerful You're... you may turn it on me? Now, You're... now in the next. <laughs> The next issue of that magazine, our Carl letters are going to be in big print. Oh, as heard on the Rick Emerson yeah. show. Totally. Oh, that'll wow. be genius. My favorite part was when you asked about his inadvertent pimping to people who weren't pimp-worthy. We have to have him back at some point. Yes. Yes, we do. We have to have him back uh, to it's address regular. perhaps a perhaps a serious listener inquiry. We should find somebody who has actual relationship problems and see what the pimping guy has like to say. Like a Q&A with Lord Pimp. Ask, ask the Adam. pimp, Sarah. Well, right. You've got to give him credit for getting this far. Basically, 
Really? Yes, all, I mean, he does have three book deals. All he did was answer the phone, though, really. I mean, when you think about it. I mean, we called and said, would you want to go on the radio? And he said, yes. It's probably that his really, first call all year. I would like to know exactly what other uh, what other radio programs have called that guy. Well, there you go. Tomorrow, the guy who was John Wayne Gacy's boyhood friend and says that Gacy was... A real joker. Is this also from the radio TV? It all it is, Tim. I think we're going to start doing like two of those a week because they are gold. It's the Rick Emerson program. It's Rock 101 KUFO. I I eat uh, a woman. Whatnot? Ah, no, no. There was a no whatnot rule. I like your hair. You know, some weather we're having. Take off your pants. Let's get out of line right now. What's your phone number? <laughs> Make our own line. But you're right. The pimp sex. Take me right to the express lane. <laughs> His Royal Highness, Pimp Master McGee or whatever, he did pimp us. He got. He did get on an FM morning show. I've got a first class delivery for you. It is the. Uh, it is the Rick Emerson radio program. Here on CBS Radio, the Tiffany Network. It's a Rock 101 KUFO. So that was the speed pimping guy. Not Lenny Kravitz, but the uh, the guy before him. Oh, you know, Lenny Kravitz is like the biggest speed pimper there is. Dude, you know, I, I know that uh, you're not the biggest fan of Lenny Kravitz and his I'm not a fan of the way he looks. I'm not such a fan of his music. I was just going to say, that's a guy who's a pimp just because of the way he looks. The chicks love, uh, ladies love cool Lenny. They, uh, I have never met a woman who, uh, Lenny Kravitz one of those guys that no matter who you are, no matter what walk of life you might come from, all women agree on the Lenny Kravitz question. Uh, he just uh, he crosses all borders in that way. Although I do have to say this, really, and I and I really do, especially his first few records. I'm a big fan. That song we just played, that "Are You Gonna Go My Way," whatever anybody thinks about the song itself, it has some of the worst lyrics that have ever been written. Do you realize that that song actually contains the phrase "We've got to love and rub a dub"? <laughs> there you go, Lenny Kravitz, genius. It is. Serve words. And whatnot, i.e. Okay, Stop. done. We're done. We're done right now. Now for some news pimping. Before, <laughs> before we do that, I should say, to counteract the lingering effects of the pimpologist uh, that we had earlier today, tomorrow, ladies and gentlemen, in fact, about 24 hours from now, tomorrow in the 8 o'clock hour, Adam West, right here on the Rick Emerson Show. That of is tomorrow. Batman fame. Yes, of uh, Batman fame, Family Guy fame, and Maxim Zool fame. TV's Adam West tomorrow in the 8 o'clock hour. Right we have to find a, show. a really awesome clip uh, from Family Guy of Adam West to start the show with tomorrow. Yeah, because whatever we do, we can't introduce him with the Batman theme because no. then that makes us, that makes us retard. I want to do the Adam Wee one. Yeah. Ladies and gentlemen at the news desk, Tim Riley. In the news with Tim Riley. Well, here's something you'll either love or hate, depending on what side of the issue you are I on. I hate it. It could soon be completely legal... For cyclists to run stop signs and red lights. I chose wisely. I do, in fact, hate that. I do hate that as well. And you cyclist. Uh, you cyclist. I am a bicycle You cyclist. Leader. Me. <laughs> I don't even know what I'm doing. So me go to the other side of care. No, so there's some cyclists out there who are jerks. I don't take advantage of it. I find that hard to believe. <laughs> no. According to this law, if the way is clear, a cyclist would be allowed to slowly and safely... Run a red light or a stop sign. And we know what they're going to do it that way, don't we? But, but, and, and, and the way we know they're going to do it... Blatantly unsafe decisions would still be illegal. What is that supposed to mean? See, and I would think that slowing down and not coming to a complete stop is a blatantly unsafe decision. You know why? Because they don't let anybody do it now. It's mm-hmm. against the law, which is how you know. And it's not like every law necessarily exists for good reason. But it seems like if you're on a thing... Uh, you know, if you're on a road 
You're on a thing that is, if you're on any sort of plane, if you're in any sort of space that is being shared by a series of 2,000-pound boxes made of steel and glass, yes. i.e. cars, then really the idea that you could just sort of roll right through the red light, that seems um, that seems ill-advised. It seems very liberal to me. It does, Tim. You know what that is? That's outcome-based education or something. That is called, it's Bill Clinton's fault. Well, because the jackasses who do it now are going to continue to do it anyway. And that's my yeah. thing. And here's the other deal about this. Here's what nobody's pointing out is that if they do this, all it's going to do is it's going to enrage motorists even further. Mm-hmm. Motorists who are already pissed off at bicyclists it's all the time anyway. faster. Exactly. Well, look, if you're, if you're some car, because cars are just going to say, well, then look, if they don't have to stop all the way. Why in other words, should I? Exactly. Mm-hmm. People will say, well, it's because a bicycle is really light and doesn't cause any damage. And it doesn't, it doesn't cause any damage to you if it, if, if it hits you. But, of course, you're going to do all kinds of damage to the uh, to the bicycle if it gets in your way because it didn't stop. And, by the way... Bicyclists who are rolling past stop signs and red lights without fully coming to a stop. And look, and I we joke about how Sarah bicycles way more than I do, but I, you know, I bicycle every now and again. And I stop at a red light or at a stop sign because A, I don't want to get hit, and B, I don't want some guy who's not looking my way to not see me until the last moment and then have to swerve, mm-hmm. and then he drives through a plate glass window or well, something see, on I Clinton never want to be in the wrong at all. I don't want to be like some, you know, jackass car like running through and like hitting me like I want to at least always be in the right and be like you were supposed to stop not uh, me. and then to my wife and I have the biggest arguments about this because she's on the whole bicycle shouldn't have to stop at a red light or a stop sign thing which makes no sense to me at all no so anyway all right so you can do this well if this does become law you can do it slowly and safely well what are the and we know what's going to happen what are the steps between this how, Tim how does a bill become a law but I mean what, what well, remains gonna, to be... if this is house bill 2690 so it's going to pass. That just infuriates me. Well, here's something that will make you happy. It's the Parade of Science. A veterinarian has rebuilt a crocodile skull. This happened in Florida. Of course it did. In, wait, where, Tim? Florida. Yes. That was you. I'll admit that. You had that one. <laughs> Dr. Douglas Mater and his staff performed surgery on a 10-foot crocodile. It took several hours to install four steel plates and 41 screws to this, the skull of this thing. Apparently it was hit by a car. Somebody brought it in. The endangered reptile skull was crushed, unable to feed itself. A zoo officials say the surgery was a success, but there is no guarantee that the animal will survive the long-term effects of having 41 screws and four steel plates in its hand. First of all, I think I speak for everybody when I say that we shouldn't be building cyborg or android crocodiles in any way. I'm Although wholly opposed kind of to that. Awesome. I guess it's kind of awesome, but I mean... Really, was there a shortage of crocodiles in Florida right now? That we, I mean, what is it? We're not able to snatch babies out of their bassinets or whatever it is they do? I mean, those things are always just like one day away from overtaking all of the cities in that state anyway. So, really, I uh, I feel that's a thing that nature ought to be allowed to, to sort out for itself. Well, now it's time to put people back together again with the monkey watch. Here's your monkey watch for uh, Wednesday on the Rick Emerson Radio program. Where is that it's darn monkey watch? Where is that darn monkey watch? There is the monkey watch. So we have a double monkey watch today. First, from Billings, which I believe is in Montana. It is, Tim. Uh, they put the clamps on a chomping chimp. This week, emergency dispatchers received calls about carousing chimpanzees. First came the report of a chimp running down a road. Then the second, barely half an hour later, reported that a chimp had bitten a woman. Although the two chimps are on the lamb, only the chimp that bit the woman is being quarantined. Apparently, the animal is being held at the uh, owner's residence near Roberts. This is in Montana. The it, owner... Yeah. It's like holding the chimp at the owner's residence seems like a bad idea. I think if you ask the uh, woman at the Cleveland Clinic who's uh, got no lips... Well, it's under house arrest. Really? 
It's just at home giving itself a series of long bubble baths and uh, watching Judge Judy. Sipping wine yes. and, and combing its near, uh, owner's hair. The owner, uh, Jean, is a real estate agent who has raised the two chimpanzees like children. She said Monday's escape was a result of vandalism. Somebody kept the locks and let them out on the highway. So they're looking at video. Uh, let's see. Uh, uh, the woman denies that either of the chimps, Connor and Kramer... Both roughly six years old and weighing 75 pounds had bitten anyone. The victim, however, was taken to the uh, hospital in Beartooth. It's a sophisticated state. <laughs> it is. Uh, is this... Now, this is a woman who owns the chimp? Yes. Is there now women that own the monkey? I was just oh, going to say. I didn't mean to take that away from you. No, no, no. I, I, I was just going to make that observation, actually. Is there now, like, a, are we recognizing the emergence of a new type of person? And that is the crazy chimp lady. The crazy monkey. Who is alongside the crazy cat lady. Because the woman who had uh, Travis, the face eater, she was, you know, that was the woman who had him. And there was a story about three uh, weeks ago from California. And there's some other chimp incident. It was a woman there, too. And so they're all, like, single older women. They're all, like, these nutcase, spinster, like, uh, you know, sort of school marmish women that don't, not actually ugly, but sort of seem a little dry, you know, in the personality department. Not, not a whole lot going on. And there was that, like, the Travis the Chimp, the guy, you know, the, the chimp that went so nuts, uh, you know, a few weeks ago. There was that whole thing that came out of the New York Post where they would take, yes, long sips of wine together and watch television. And then they would occasionally just... He would, he would brush her hair. He would brush her hair. And then occasionally oh. she would tuck him into, you know, she had a queen-size bed. And she'd be in one side and the chimp would be in the other. Which I guess is sort of amusing in a kind of a bedtime for Bonzo sort of a way, but then it's lunchtime for Bonzo, and the lunch is, in fact, your nose. So that seems to end badly for everybody. Hey, for well, some reason, the I, wine is creepy, but the hairbrushing is even creepier. Well, the hairbrushing is creepier, and I'll tell you why, because you grew up watching uh, nature specials, and you're just imagining him eating nits out of the woman's hair. That's why. That's exactly why it's creepy, Sarah. Oh. You're imagining him going through and just consuming uh, whatever it is he might find in there. That's exactly, I'll tell you, the script at the bottom of the page right now. Was it a chimp in bedtime for Bonzo? I believe so. The yeah. Reagan film? Mm -hmm. Yeah, see, Reagan never knew the danger that he missed. So getting back to the, uh, the uh, lady-eating chimp. Now her family is seeking $50 million in damages from Travis's lady owner. Uh, apparently these are life-threatening injuries. We're looking to Peter attempt to secure Seriously. compensation for her. Not only for the pain and suffering, but for the potential future uh, expenses that she may incur as a result of these uh, life changes. Speak slower, injuries. please, sir. I mean, I want to try to eat up the remaining 48 minutes with your one soundbite. He does sound a lot like Oregonian uh, features writer Peter Carlin. Well, th this chip was 200 pounds. Yeah. I mean, 200 pounds. So he had quite an appetite when let loose. 200 pounds, and he was in all those old Navy commercials, mm -hmm. which means that he had, on the one hand, which I think is why they thought he was safe, like, well, he's acclimated to being around humans, but on the other residuals. Not anymore, Tim. Uh, the, but they thought that he was sort of, you know, domesticated or whatever. No. But on the other hand, you know, you're working on it. Tim, you know what it's like on a film set? People always yelling at you, Christian Bale getting in your face and whatnot. Mm -hmm. Uh, see, now I can't ever say what not again because of the speed pimping guy. Now I have to mm -hmm. just remove it from my lexicon. But um, but it seems like if you spend a lot of your career under hot lights with some guy yelling at you, emote more. You're not you're not hitting your mark. I mean, the first time you get a chance to really uh, you know say it with feeling. <laughs> I'll say it with feeling. Uh, I'm going to be feeling your lips inside my stomach. That's what I'm going to be feeling. And so just the first time that he got a chance to sort of a. Uh, Strike a blow for his peers. I think he. Uh, I think he did that. So 
this woman eats a few things, and probably they'll come up to $50 million because she needs hands, a nose, <laughs> lips, and eyelids. Could be blind. It could have brain damage. I'm sorry. I'm not laughing that at That is them. awful. These are, these are long-term quality-of-life needs. <laughs> the best way to think about it is um, uh, a tragic event that uh, uh, altered uh, Ms. Nash's uh, life uh, really? in yeah. very obvious ways and then also in ways that uh, no one can contemplate at this time. Is that what we're calling the fact that she has no face now, that it's altered her life? Mm-hmm. Yes, I would say that that is true. I mean, technically speaking, like in really just the most basic linguistic sense, I guess that's an accurate statement. Jesus. If you're right, Tim. She does need money because she does, in fact, have no hands. Mm-hmm. So there you go. You ain't got no hands, chimp lady. That's the monkey watch. A little of Forrest Gump there. Whatever. I, look, I didn't go the stupid give her a hand or two route. That would have been, uh, I'm not going to do that. Uh, I also, um, I also what didn't go the, What else are you not going uh, to do? I also didn't, uh, I also didn't do the, um, I also didn't do this. I also didn't do, um, uh, chimp attack woman's first day out of the coma where she says, I don't know, there's something different about my face, but I just can't put my finger on it. Well, at least she's facing her own problems. I just can't put my finger on it, facing her own problems. I didn't do that either. So the, the lady who had her face and everything bitten off, yes. she w- didn't own the chimp, right? She was just the friend of the no, lady who owned the chimp? No, she was the friend of the chimp. She was the friend of the chimp. That's not her fault. No, 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 but, but, no see, but that's not well, true. Well, you can't befriend every chimp. That's, Sarah, that's what I'm saying. <laughs> you think you can be friends with a chimp, Sarah, but you can't. That's how they sucker you in. I'm going to say this. Look, I don't mean to be uh, blaming the victim, but watch me proceed to blame the victim. If she knew the chimp lived there, in other words, it, look, as I said earlier, if it, it was some sort of weird simian jack-in-the-box where she, like, opened the door, hello, Alice, I'm, ah! you know, and then Travis just comes out like he's on Rocket Springs or something, that's one thing. If she didn't know the chimp was there, if you went over to somebody, like, you pick a friend, Sarah, if you went over to somebody's house and they have a chimp there, knowing what you know about chimps, mm-hmm. and I mean, even before this, I even before this, I know they have babies there. See, there you go. Look, I don't even like to go to a place where like a cat lives. I mean, or a cat has ever lived. You know why? It causes me a little redness around the eyes. But at least I have eyes at the end of that. If you knew that somebody had a chimp, wouldn't you say to yourself, you know what, uh, why don't you come over to my house, you know, by yourself? Or maybe we can just, you know, well, let's meet at Red Lobster or something. Why don't you uh, leave the chimp at home? And even if the chimp was polite, say, may I brush your hair? Pardon me, uh... I can't help but notice that you've got a little bit of a knot in the back of your uh, ponytail. You have beautiful hair. You... Do you mind if I brush this out? So, I mean, yeah, oh, if, if, no. if, you know, I mean, if you're saying if the chimp decides he wants to cozy up to you, you avoid that. You don't do that at all. So, you don't go over to somebody's house when there's a chimp. You and you sit, sit in the love seat. And you also don't do what this woman did. You know where she, she got out of the car, and there's the chimp, like, sitting on the front porch with the owner. The woman gets out of the car... And then she's holding a Tickle Me Elmo in front of her face, as the story went. Oh! She gets out of the car, she's holding a Tickle Me Elmo in front of the face. The chimp was too old for it in the first place. And then she walked right toward the chimp, who did not recognize her. And I think, according to some versions of the story, the chimp made a warning noise. And when when an animal uh, with razor-sharp teeth that can pull a thousand pounds up with each arm makes a warning noise... That's not like the FBI warning on the front of your copy of a Showgirls or something you just disregard. That's a warning you pay attention to. That is nature's way of saying, this will, um, this will go badly for you. 
So, all right. There's your double monkey watch for... Uh, I think we closed the monkey watch. Did yes. we? Did we end it already? Yep. Okay. We're, uh, we're going on to other things. Yes, we are, Tim. <laughs> yes, we are. Let's get this one call, and then we will uh, talk to CNN Radio correspondent Lisa Desjardins in mere uh, minutes. Hi, you're on the Rick Emerson Radio Program. Hey, this is my first call on frequency modulation. I'm excited. Thank you, sir. Hello. Um, just a quick comment on the bicycle thing. Yeah. You realize now that a complete burden of liability is going to be on cars now because cars will still have to stop and bikes don't. Bikes well, the, don't have to carry liability insurance. The liability is on cars already because if you are um, a pedestrian, and bicycles are considered a pedestrian under the law in most cases, right. the right-of-way is always with the pedestrian, even if they are crossing against the light, if even if they are walking diagonally across the street. Uh, okay. The right-of-way is always with the pedestrian. So it's on. if you're in a car, it's on you anyway. Oh, I didn't. I didn't think uh, bicyclists were considered pedestrians. Well, they're they not are. considered. Well, maybe, but see, I get. I, I don't really remember. I don't. I don't, I don't think don't, they're considered cars, though. I don't stop. I don't stop for them within a crosswalk if they're walking. Sure, but if they're on a bike, I do not <laughs> stop for them in a crosswalk. Screw that. I just hose them into the drain later. Right, and the other thing is, we all. This is the only other thought I had. Who? Who? I just hold. Let me just get. Who actually just proactively? Just gets out ahead of the whole thing by announcing that they quote don't stop for people in crosswalks. Well, I don't run them over, but if they're stop- I hope if they're waiting at the side, hoping a car's going to stop at the. At oh, the I see. Thing. You don't bring the car to a halt and yield to let them cross. Oh, but if I see a, oh, someone walking, sure I'll stop. But if I see them thinking the car's going to stop them, no, forget it. I like. I, I was thinking maybe you just gave them like you know you split the difference and gave them a preemptive blast of the horn to give them a, like a five second warning or something. No, no, no. All right, excellent. And right. The only other thought I had was we all know that uh, bikes don't cause damage to cars. It's when they get off their bike and they their little Bianchi and they. No offense, sir. I, I know you have one. Of those I know they, I do. <laughs> then they proceed to beat your car with it. That's the real damage that comes from the little bicycle bullshit. That comes. So there you go. All right, there you go. Thank you, sir. Play. I would never damage my bike on a car. No. Intentionally. Not. Well, and you're also not a jackass like, cyclist. Exactly. And that, that's extra super jackass because if you are a real cyclist, you're not going to want to ruin your bike. Seriously. To prove a point. I would like to know if actual so-called real cyclists, meaning those bastards that are always in their Lance Armstrong gear, where it looks like it's been you know, painted onto their buttocks uh, with, you know, it says Pennzoil or something, right? you know, where it's got all the, uh, the writing and everything. Uh, I would like to know if those guys feel that you ought to be stopping at a red light or at a stop sign. And here's the, and I'm telling you right now, I mean, we're not even into April, it's March. You can already sense that it's going to start boiling up. It's going to be another one of those summers where there's just cars slamming into bicycles every three hours. And it's because of things like this, by the way. The, these laws do not help. Ah, there you go. I feel better. It's the Rick Emerson Show on Rock 101 KUFO. It's the Rick Emerson radio program on Rock 101 KUFO. I hit like five different posts there in about ten seconds. That's right, bitches. Yes, you're very special. Mesmerizing. It really was, Tim. It's what I do. It's another free service I provide. Coming up here in just a bit, we'll have more news with Tim Riley, plus today's top five. The top five opening songs on a debut record. Uh, Plus, we'll go to the folds in just a bit. Let's welcome now to the Rick Emerson Show from CNN Radio, Washington, D.C., Lisa Desjardins. Hello, how are you today? Hello, how are you? I am fantabulous. Well, fantastic. Jeez, morning is really suiting you. I, I couldn't do it. I am 
Not n- not nice in the mornings. See, and see that I've and I've actually just delivered it so sincerely that you don't know whether I really mean it or whether I'm faking. So whether no, it's method I'm, acting or you know my legitimate state of mind, it doesn't matter because it sounds the same to you. You know, whether it's spin or real, I'm adding to it. That's what I'm saying. I'm just going to read this right off the CNN prep sheet today. It actually just what? says. Do you want President Obama's help with your NCAA bracket? Oh, no. In a few hours, you can sneak a peek at his. CNN's Lisa Desjardins reports from Washington. Why, Lisa, I do, in fact, want President Obama's help with my NCAA bracket. Do you? Well, I'm I'm glad to hear it. Also, I've got this clogging of my rain gutters that I could use a hand with, but we'll do one thing at a time. See, now I know that you're you're completely insincere about everything that you're saying this morning. Well, you know, now all is revealed. I am trying to. One has to give the uh, one has to give the people what they want, and because I know that like every office on earth. Yeah, right now, you know, everybody's you know, getting That's ready right. to put together the bracket so they can... Uh, does, that, does that include your... I mean, really, come on. Are you watching college basketball? Are you? No, but here's... I'm not, but here's the thing. is I know that there's like, you know, there's the thing where people sit at the bracket and then there's some sort of monetary gain if your, uh, if your predictions do, in fact, <laughs> turn out to come true. Yes. So, look, I mean, when Obama speaks, I listen in this regard. So if it's going to possibly make me some money, uh, I'm all ears. So let, lay it on me. <laughs> All right, so President Obama is revealing, I think we've got the full bracket coming out at noon uh, today, uh, but we do have just a, it seems like a ESPN gave a little wink at what we're going to get later. We, I think we don't know yet who President Obama has picked to win the entire tournament, but we do know who he has put more or less uh, in his final four, and I'm trying to pull it up here. It's, it's, uh, it's, here's his final four picks. He's got uh, Pittsburgh, Carolina, North Carolina, uh, and Louisville and Memphis. So you've got two Big East teams, and then Memphis, he got burned. I know way too much about this. He got burned on Memphis last year. He didn't have them really going very far at all, and, of course, Memphis made it to the final game, lost to Kansas. He didn't have Kansas winning at all either. So he got burned last year, and now he's putting Memphis in this year. I don't know if that's a great pick. I, I think Memphis might be a little bit overrated, but that's just me. All right. By the way, just a little pull back the curtain here. For anybody who wonders why, in fact, we did this segment since it's about sports and I'm you know, not much of a sports enthusiast, uh, the answer is a woman talking about President Obama and politics and the uh, NCAA uh, Final Four and ex- you know, demonstrating a vast knowledge of all of those things at once. That right there, that's capturing the male 25 to 54 demographic. <laughs> is, uh, really, in a nutshell, you really are. It's like you were created by a consultant and a focus group all at once, <laughs> which I mean in the best possible way. Well, I'll take it. Jeez. Um, so yeah. on that note, no, no, uh, Sarah's actually kind of already uh, screaming at me that I'm overtime, which I am. So yes, you know I'm screaming quite loudly, Lisa. You're screaming with your eyes. <laughs> That's the creepiest thing. <laughs> Scream with your eyes. <laughs> uh, get in my trunk. Um, okay, well then, great. Uh, uh, AIG chairman uh, testifying in maybe a couple of hours. Yeah, somebody got to take a bat to that guy. Uh, you know, verbally speaking. Right, nothing but metaphors. No, no, no. Every... If, you ask, if you ask someone for a cup of coffee, you would only be speaking symbolically. Well, look, it's like that guy yesterday. They ought to take their own lives. And then today he says, by which I mean... Write an essay. I mean, it doesn't make any sense at all. So, I mean, really, I'm just going to start thinking, he ought to be set on fire and then rolled into a latrine. You know, by which I mean he should pay some sort of fee. Excellent. All right, Lisa Desjardins, thank you so much. All right, there you go. Lisa Desjardins from the Hill, ladies and gentlemen. I can't picture her being, like, grumpy in the morning. She's such a ray of sunshine. She's a Pollyanna, and I I mean that as a comment. She really is. She's never in a bad mood, and when she is, it's only to emails that she sends me late at night. I've gotten some of the snarkiest emails from her, and they're all, like, 2 or 3 in the morning when she's been up for a day and a half covering a campaign or something. 
Still to come, Tim Riley at the news desk, and we'll do today's top five. Top five opening songs on a debut record right here on the Rick Emerson Show on Rock 101 KUFO. It's the Rick Emerson Show on Rock 101 KUFO, indeed. It's 503-733-2970. You're seconds away from headlines with Tim Riley and the top five. Top five opening songs on a debut record. Hello, sir, madam, as the case may be. You're on the Rick Emerson program. Speak to us hey, all. Oh, hey, guys. What's going on? Hello. Hi. Hello. Hey. Hey, I uh, just wanted to say two things. The show is going top-notch since you guys have moved over to KUFO. I'm getting up at 5 o'clock in the morning just hey. to listen. You are awesome. The Thank you. I don't, I don't even go to work is... until 9, so... Oh, well, so you already have to live. Well, God bless you, sir. It'll make you live longer. No, the magic ingredient is fatigue, my friend. <laughs> really. And also, uh, second note, all uh, flavors of viso at the Arco in Gresham on Stark and Hogan. Stark and Hogan. Tim, the next time you're at the Arco in Gresham, be sure to stop in. I'm going to stop by today. All right. The Arco in Gresham, Stark and Hogan. Excellent. Thank you, my friend. And Tim Riley, welcome back. Thank you. All right. Have a good day, guys. Thank you, sir. Bye, Spread the you. word. All right. Fantastic. All right. Uh, let's see, I'm going to read this one sentence really quickly about the speed pimping guy. Rick, I thought the speed pimp interview was great. Uh, every time he segued with a vague and unhelpful description, such as, i.e., I say you got pretty hair, talk about the weather, and before you know it, I'm getting her number. And she forgets she's lying. <laughs> every time he'd do that segue, I would replace it in my head with, then I slip a pill into her drink and whatnot. I also love the fact that he has a .org website implying that he is part of a non-profit organization dedicated to faster-than-usual pimping and whatnot. That's Chris. <laughs> All right, thank you, sir. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, at the news desk, it's Tim Riley. In the news with Tim Riley. The head of AIG is getting ringed right now on Capitol Hill. <laughs> as far as the American people are concerned, I think AIG now stands for arrogance, incompetence, and greed. Ooh, sick Ooh. burn. Yeah. Oh, and the guy who said he wanted uh, AIG people to commit suicide, he said he really didn't mean it. We're looking to attempt. That's the wrong one. Try this one. What I'm expressing here, obviously, is not that I want people to commit suicide. Even though that's what I said. Uh, that's not my notion. Be a man. For the love of God, seriously, say something and just stick by it. Quit being such a candy ass. President Obama made jokes during St. Patrick's Day. I hope that all of you uh, have a wonderful time this evening. Uh, and Michelle and I urge you to stay as long as you want. That is funny. That is funny. Okay. The octuplet lady brought two octuplets home. I'm really, really worried about the safety of everybody because they were, they were all swerving and just getting out of their car every time there was a stoplight and just knocking on the, with their cameras knocking on all the windshields. I have a lot of sibilant S's when I talk. When she always no, she, cameras. She's like creepy baby that. talk too. She really like, does, and she has a, and she has a weird looking face. She does, and she smells. <laughs> well, I guess it could look weirder. We went like three different ways there, but we resolved none of them. Here's your top five, five for Wednesday. Four, three, two, one, fire. I was going to do this sort of um, overly blunt explanation of the smell for comedic value, like, and she smells like butt, and then I didn't do that. And then you, uh, when they could be worse way, we didn't follow that. But see, the, the, these were all embryonic jokes. Really, they were sort of zygotes. monkey attacks. What not? I.E. All right, here's Tim Riley with your top five. The value of a first impression can never be overstated. A band, for example, only gets one chance to come out of the gate with an, uh, an opening track. And it's an opening track from the very first album. Then it's even more crucial. These are the top five 
first songs on the first album. Audible mentioned going to Van Halen with Running With The Devil. So these are sort of notable because they're the very first thing that the world hears from the band, usually. And it's their very first impression of a group. That's pretty creepy. And great. And awesome. This is the song from where we got those David Acapella, uh, David, the David Lee Roth acapella tracks, where he's just doing a lot of that. Hi, Which I made my new male sounder for a while. And it's such a monstrous album anyway, but just the idea that this is like the very first thing that comes out of the gate. Fantastic. Excellent. Tim Riley, number five. Five, Rage Against the Machine with Bomb Track. It's a great build. I mean, it's got a great, you know, especially for a band that has, not like they're necessarily reinventing the rule book from top to bottom, but just in terms of guitar tone, in terms of like the sense of rhythm, it's got that great sort of opening gestation, you know, to the song that kind of builds and builds and builds. And sort of blows right out of the speakers at you. It's fantastic. Excellent. Tim Riley, what is number four? Aerosmith, make it. And, oh, wait, wait, let me. This is the one that Adam Thompson and I agreed on, by the way. This is the very first thing that the world ever heard from Aerosmith. It's first cut on their very first album, which was uh, like an independent pressing before it was even like a major uh, label release. And this is actually, Steven Tyler sort of wrote this song imagining uh, Aerosmith opening for the Rolling Stones at some point in the ill-determined future. And he wanted this to be the very first thing he said as they opened for the Stones in concert. Right there. Damn it. It's a skill. Really more of a gift. It's like speed pimping. Here's Tim Riley. Number three, Nine Inch Nails. Head like a hole. This is from the uh, Pretty Hate Machine record. Just such a weird album. Even now, you listen to it, it sounds really bizarre. And it's got a creepy children's chorus, too, which I never really noticed until the 50th time I heard it. What about your skin crawling in an odd way? Tim Riley, what is number two? Pearl Jam with Once... And ladies and gentlemen, coming up, when we return, you'll hear the number one song of the top five. What is the greatest song to open a debut album? The answer with the Rick Everson Show continues on Rock 101 KUFO. Here it is, ladies and gentlemen, number one. I apologize for that shameless and corny manipulation, by the way, of making you wait till the other side of the break. Sarah was, no, you don't. <laughs> Sarah was screaming with her eyes once again. Screaming with my eyes? You make me sound scary. You sound like, uh, you sound like that, the... Uh, sounds like you have my mouth duct taped. And whatnot. That's right after that's that's right after I like your hair and right before if you make any noise I'll kill you. Uh, theoretically speaking, ladies and gentlemen. Right there, post hit. Here you go. This is the very first opening track to a debut album ever. Guns N' Roses, welcome to the jungle. All right. 
Tim Riley, what were our three biggest headlines today? Well, I'll tell you. It may soon become legal for bicyclists to run stop signs and lights in Oregon. Congress is really putting it to the AIG chairman. And that Iowa senator who advised all those executives to kill themselves, he now says he doesn't really want them to die. Yeah, but maybe tomorrow he'll change his mind uh, back again and decide that their skulls should be hollowed out and filled with aphids. Or, you know, whatever. Aphids of talk. And so forth. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for joining us today. We want to thank senior radio correspondents Lisa Desjardins, James Roop, Steve Kastenbaum, as well as Lord Shahid, the pimp. speed pimping guy. Tomorrow, Adam West. Adam West will be joining us tomorrow on the Rick Emerson radio program, as well as Mr. Skin from MrSkin.com. Rick Emerson, show produced today and every day by the lovely and talented Sarah Cillin for AM9. Damn it. For Rock 101 <laughs> KUFO. In the newsroom, Tim Riley, the phones, Richie Bristol, the gatekeeper, Dave's in, webmistress, Bridget from upstairs, and of course, CBS Radio Portland marketing guru, Susan Donak with me, Reynolds, executive producer, Christopher J. Paddock. I'm Rick Emerson. Thank you for listening. That is the frequency, Kenneth. See you all tomorrow. Machete. And whatnot. <laughs>